Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The official podcast of the Alfonso Davies fan club. Oh, you... You were saving that. We talked for an hour before this. You didn't even say anything. That's harsh. I just harsh. I wanted you to have your moment, Eddie. God damn it! I didn't get to watch either of the games. By the way, Um, I was in Vancouver for the first game, Canada against Belgium, and uh, I was out at a few different places. I was watching it on my phone, and uh, completely. I can only assume. That you heard that there was a team with uh, Marwan Fellaini, Romelu Lukaku, and uh, both of the Hazard brothers, and you were like, "It's not 2013. I'm not doing this to myself again." <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I I couldn't I couldn't watch the first one. I missed the Davies penalty, and somebody texted me about it, and then I watched the last 40 minutes of that game, and like basically the whole second half, and it was it was rough. It was a good game, but it was rough. And then I uh, didn't see it. The only, I only checked the score. I was out today. I checked the score twice for this game. Five minutes in, I checked the score, and it was one I think Canada. So I was feeling pretty good <laughs> about myself because I watched the Morocco game this morning, and I was like, all right, like we've got a chance. And then the next time I checked was near the end. It was three one Croatia. It was like five minutes ago. And I was like, oh man, god damn it. what's the best uh, part about it is before when i was getting ready for us to jump on this call three hours ago um i got a call from my dad and he was like hey do you have a second i was like yeah sure and he was like where do i know luka modric from (laughs) and i was like it's like does he play for any i was like yeah he plays for real madrid and he was like huh he's fucking good and i was like yeah "Yeah, he really is he goes like he was like that was like kind of men against boys in that game. And I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I was like, oh, really? He was like, he's like, it could have been like seven, eight, nothing. He goes, well, technically they scored first. So it could have been like seven, eight to one. And I was laughing so hard. He was like, I just, he felt really familiar and he's so good. I was like, yeah. I was like, you probably know him from the Liverpool Real Madrid Champions League game a few years ago. And he goes, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a bummer. I mean, I'm glad. We got a goal, um, and I honestly like I, I would love to get a win and beat Morocco, but there's no way uh, they're not showing up for that game. And and I also kind of hope Belgium just doesn't go through, which would be kind of great. They lose to Croatia on, on the last day, and Morocco uh, at least gets. Uh, well, I guess they don't even have to win, but I'm just hoping Croatia beats Belgium on the last day and they don't go through. That would be great. Belgium has to win to go through. Yep. It's Belgium-Croatia on the last day. 
they have three points. Morocco and Croatia have four points, so they have to win. Oh. Uh, yeah, they have to win to go in. It'll be a fun game. <sighs> and now Germany's about to pretend, not be out, but on the verge of going out. So I won't even be able to cheer for them. Um, and I, my the rest of my family's from England, and I just don't really, want, I don't really want to cheer for England. So no, and I'm not cheering for you guys. Not. So that's not happening. Why? What did uh, we do? Why? Well, can't imagine why anybody who doesn't live here wouldn't root for this team. That's so weird. Yeah, yeah. We have such a Jim, sparkling reputation internationally. I had Jimmy and a few, and Dave uh, giving me shit about Canada going out, <laughs> like the U.S. wouldn't go out in the same group. As well, so no shit. But uh, sorry, you, just, you guys just have to what beat Iran to go through to the next round. Uh, yeah, I think that's technically what has to happen. All right, but well, I'm cheering for Ecuador now. So as I've said, uh, okay, real quick, really weird update since we're just doing this now. Anyways, Man United open to a Pulisic loan. The yeah. USMNT forward is expected to leave Chelsea in the January transfer window. There was rumors like that a little bit in the summer that he would come and then it didn't happen because he's not. I can't imagine why. It's so weird that there would be rumors linking someone to Manchester United and then months and months would pass and they're still not there. How weird. I've already already been linked to every forward under the sun (laughs) after Ronaldo left, so bound to happen. Whatever. As long as we get Cody Gakbo, man, that's all I give a shit about. Yeah, that's all I I want. That kid's a stud. But price just went, price went up uh, forty million with the two goals at the, at the World <laughs> Cup. So that's that's Did the you? So okay, real quick while we're doing this, a couple of things. One, did you see Wesley Snyder on the sidelines in his full fat Ronaldo phase? Yeah, he's huge. He's a I, big boy. I did but, not like. He's le- like he's living it up. Like Suarez Suarez is playing, and he's like he's on the verge. He came off the bench and he was looking like he, he he played in Argentina this year, I think, or no, he played in Uruguay this year and he won the title and like it's an easier league for him. But he looks like he was living it up a little bit too much before the World Cup. He, he just was struggling out there. All right, so uh, since we're just talking about Luis, who is the hockey equivalent of Luis Suarez, where he was like legitimately one of the what four or five best goal scorers in the league for or in the world for what? Five years, six years. It's Brad Marchand. Is it? It's Brad Marchand. Yeah, it has to be right. <laughs> oh God, it is. It has to be right. Oh, that's like sucks. they're kind of similar looking. Louis Suarez bit people. Brad Marchand licks people. Licks people. They're both at one oh, point. I hate you right now. Top goal scorers or top point top players in in the world. It's it's got to yeah. be Brad Marchand. It has to be. Oh, that's. <laughs> I'll never forget the when it was released at the new Liverpool kit. Somebody fake released it, and it was uh, the Hannibal Lecter mask. And I was like, that rocks. That's so good. Did oh, you, I uh... hate that. It is Brad Marchand. I'm so upset right now. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoop. Corey Perry. Well, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani.
All right, we're back. For oh, <laughs> you really? I didn't realize you were for real counting down. I feel so stupid yeah. right now. That's hilarious. I heard you counting down and still didn't <laughs> process it as such. That's hilarious. No, what we're uh, we're back for take two. Um, as you guys probably saw on on Twitter yesterday, if you saw it, that uh, we had some random technical difficulties. We still haven't completely figured out what it was, but uh, for now, we're back. We're back with a new episode. Uh, a couple weeks later. I was uh, I was out in Vancouver for a bit, and uh, the boys had a show. You and you and Pat had a show ready to go, and then uh, Pat had some plans that came up. But uh, we did it. We made yeah, it. it fell apart last second. It was one of those shitty, weird things. It, it in Pat's defense, he did make a real good faith effort to be ready for that, and it just fell apart on him at the last second. It's yeah, contextually it ten times funnier because he's a fucking ghost. <laughs> yeah. But in truth, it really was just one of those things that can happen. So yeah. we'll let him off the hook. For hey, that listen, one. he made it. He made it to an episode for the first time in 2022. Uh, so now he's good for the rest of the year. So <laughs> <laughs> he's good until halfway through 2023. And then, he has uh, fulfilled his court-appointed uh, community <laughs> service. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it works out. It works out because we were going to put the episode out. Um, after the Seattle game anyway, without really being able to cover it. And now we get to add it to our uh, list of games to cover. It's not like it went our way, but still, it, it was an exciting game. It was fun. It was like a fun the, game. It yeah, was like the first game. game of the season. It was fun to come back for the Ducks when they were down uh, two goals, 4-2 again to bring it back to 4-4. Disappointing it didn't go to overtime or shootout or you know see some extra extra time there because I, I felt like the Ducks... Just say you don't want Bedard. Team. Just say you don't want Bedard. Say that you hate this team. You don't want Connor Bedard. But I will take. Yeah, I will. I will accept the loss uh, if at the end of the year it does result in in Connor Bedard. Like, listen, I like the rest of these guys in that draft too. I'm sure we'll talk about this a thousand times. Oh yeah, the end of the season. But dude, we're gonna get there before the end of the calendar year. Yeah, there's just there's some, and, and listen, it's like the way David Eichel draft, right? Like. Everybody knew Eichel was gonna be a great player, but it was McDavid, right? Like yeah. you can't like that's that's the goal. So no matter what, it'd be great to get Fantilli or Mitchkov or you know any of the other guys slotted to go in in that top five range. But it's all about Bedard. It's all about yeah. Bedard this year. All this pain has to be for something. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. It's uh, it's all for American hero Adam Fantilli. Uh, he's Canadian. <laughs> no, he's American. He plays college. He hockey. plays he's college American. hockey, but he's Canadian. Go on. You guys don't have college hockey in Canada, so it doesn't count. The closest you guys to have to like a not professional minor league is the Senators. So, Oof. yeah. Well, they kicked our ass. All shut up. Yeah, that's a harsh. Day. Um. So, <laughs> it's so unfair, dude. <laughs> oh God. Uh, anyway, so here's the thing for you. What you were just talking about it kind of a second ago. It seems like the potential is there for Seattle Anaheim to be a, uh, I want to say, kind of good-natured rivalry built around kind of, you know, skill and college players and, and, you know, kind of that West Coast up and down. They're going to be in the same, you know, division and all that kind of stuff, like, can you? Well, I guess my question is two things. One, can you think of the last time Anaheim had someone that was like, oh, like 
this is like a thing where we definitely want to win, but it's like enjoyable in both directions. And two, do you think the potential is legitimately there for that with Seattle or am I just kind of on a pipe dream? For a team like kind of growing up at the same time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think just kind of, yeah, exactly that. Like just kind of developing in similar timelines, but but also just like the games are fun and I, I imagine as the teams get better and the, the stars get older, they'll get a little bit more chippy, but like they they haven't felt mean-spirited. And like yeah. I have no problem with that, right? Like I love that about the Blues and the Stars and the Kings rivalries over the last, you know, 15 years that the team has had for sure love it but it is also nice when it's just kind of like anything you can do i can do better and it's less malicious and it's more of just like two very good teams at the top of their game running as fast as they can yeah i, I think it's hard to get in division because anytime the ducks have had a serious rivalry it's it's when they've been good and it's with teams that have also been top of that division and usually it's it's local rivals like the kings or the sharks where it's it's kind of impossible for even when both of those teams have been bad which has been often in recent times like those are still nasty games to, yeah. to go and, and and watch so that's never going to happen there i feel like edmonton and calgary have kind of developed into these brutal games every time we play them um and the development times for both the teams the ducks tailed off as calgary and edmonton started taking off so we didn't really get to see that kind of equal level so seattle's probably the closest thing i mean they've been great this year they don't think anybody expected them to be second in the pacific division um at this point in the season so i, I still think their development paths are on track relatively the same you, you mentioned some of the young guys obviously shane ryan veneers in Seattle, Terry Zegris, McTavish, and in, in Anaheim, so there is that potential for these two teams to be atop of the Pacific Division and and have a subtle rivalry over the next few years, right? Where it's it's not as malicious, like you say, as some of the other ones. But I feel like you can get to that point, right? Like if both these teams fulfill their potential at some point, they will be meaningful games, interdivision games, where they're fighting for you know a four point game to to hopefully win the Pacific Division or get a better playoff spot. So they could develop into that over time. But yeah, right now, there's no bad blood between these teams. There's no reason to have any bad blood between these teams. So it is a lot of just kind of run-and-gun fun games to watch without you know any chippiness to them. Yeah, and like again, like I love all the chippiness. I love you know falling on top of goaltenders and all that shit. But like, there, it, uh, the Oilers scored. This sucks. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it is really just kind of fun when when, when you have a, a rivalry that can really just be about top six versus top six and just who can do the cooler shit right now, right? Like, yeah. that, that to me, like I've always kind of, I guess over the last few years, I feel like the closest that we've kind of gotten to that is Tampa, Boston. Maybe if you wanted to say Tampa, Toronto, um, you know, those teams haven't necessarily wanted for physicality. Like they both had guys who did that. You know, it's been a, a notable thing in Toronto. And obviously, you know, all, we can name all the guys over the last five years that have had the, the pixie dust sprinkled on them by their time in Tampa Bay that had bought them six guys. But I do think there has been something about that particular 
clash in that Atlantic division that is, is very much skill on skill. And I, I think that can be a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah, uh, it would I, be nice to have that. I, yeah, I, you notice that a little bit, I think, more in that division, I guess. And, and it could be because of the, the gap in distance between some of the teams where they, even though they're in the same division, they don't play each other as much. When you get Florida and Toronto where, like, they don't visit each other as much as, say, the Kings and the, and the Ducks do, the Kings and the Sharks. And where those um, rivalries have been built over the last you know, few decade or so um, to to what they are now, that it's no matter with new faces or whatever, that's just kind of built into those matchups that they are going to be games like that, that you have to, you know, the fans are going to feed into it. It's going to be a game that you get up for. But yeah, I, I think that the Atlantic division is kind of primed for that, to have a few of those matchups. Obviously, we know like Toronto and Montreal, Toronto and Ottawa, Toronto Boston, um, those are always going to be... You know, rough games. Florida and Tampa has mm-hmm. kind of developed nicely with both I mean, of those teams playing better. So the Rangers and the Devils, I think we're going to see that coming faster and faster and faster, especially with some of the older guys um, that the Rangers have. Right, like they've got Truba, they've got Chris Kreider, they've got guys who 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 are looking to impose their will physically and can also you know play a very strong game. Um, you know, so I, I think even that one, like you're saying, we're we're gonna see a little bit more of that that uh, malevolence kind of come out of it and that that hostility. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think there's just kind of something about like we're in this weird thing where off of the Vegas thing, where everybody just decided we hated Vegas. Yeah. For <laughs> one reason or another, like it's just it's still weird to me. But like I I get it, and then. It's kind of nice that nobody seems to feel that way about Seattle. Everybody's just like, Seattle came in, they took their lumps, they signed a couple bad contracts. They're one of the club. We love these guys. I, th- I think it's, it's the, the bad first year too, right? Is It it almost helped them. Because, it did. It 100% did. Yeah, because I was like, oh, okay, this is how it's supposed to go. They're supposed yeah. to be near the bottom of the league. They got the second overall pick. They got Maddie Beneers, so it's it's fine. Like I mean, this they, is okay. But they were a, a hockey team for three months, and they had already signed a bad goalie contract. Like it yeah. really did feel like we were like, ah, you guys are part of the club already. It's fine. Yeah, and and Whereas, nobody hated Vegas and it, right off the bat until they started playing well, and then they, they continued snowballing and and you know all the guys that they picked that were they started popping off. Shea Theodore, William Carlson, obviously mm-hmm. Marshall Show, and then. They were good, and they were making the trip all the way to the Stanley Cup final, and then it just became a thing. Like, no, nobody probably wants to admit this, but it's the jealousy thing. Like, they're one year, you know, not even a full season in, and they could be Stanley Cup champions. Like, you just kind of learn to hate a fan base like that and a team like that mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you want to admit it's jealousy or not. But with yeah. Seattle, well, yeah, again. You're not allowed to say that. They're just yeah. jerks. Edward. They're just a bunch of jerks. Yeah. But uh, Seattle cushioned, cushioned and softened that blow with the the bad season this year. And like, look, they're they're the second best team. If they win all their games, they're tied with uh, Vegas. If they win their the three games in hand for top of the Pacific Division, but nobody's out there saying, "Oh man, I hate Seattle. I can't believe." But they've yeah. they've done it this arguably the same way now. Brought in some, you know, made some good trades. Some of the, a lot of the guys they picked up through um through the expansion draft are starting to play well. You've got guys like Vince Dunn who are taking. A step forward, Brookshan was a great addition. Schwartz, Eberly, Burakovsky was you know signing some of the guys they brought in. Everybody's kind of starting to pan out. They built a really nice team, and then they had a guy like Matty Beniers in there, and all of a sudden they they look 
pretty decent, but nobody hates them because they they've had that bad year to kind of soften the blow a little bit. Dude, Seattle sucked so bad for one year that everybody has kind of forgotten that they pretended they hated Adam Larson for no reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Adam Larson's biggest crime is he was in the Taylor Tall trade, and a significant portion were like, Adam Larson is Adam Larson. It's like, no, dude, he's like a good player. He's he's not, you know, he's not spectacular. He's not flashy or anything like that, but he is a good player. And it's nice for him that he's playing on a solid team. Uh, it's plus eight. And <laughs> I don't. I know plus minus doesn't really matter, but God, like, I love it. I love on it. in context to the rest of the team, it's it's pretty remarkable how much higher he is than the rest of the guys. Like the guys just out there for <laughs> for all good scenarios that that happen. So like Matty Benius awesome. is minus two. So it's not like he's you know everybody's benefiting from. Him, so it's just yeah, it's Which, funny to see. That. I mean. Look, if you told me, is he a rookie this year or was he technically a rookie last year? No, he's a rookie this year because he, he played uh, minus two on a competitive team. That's like that's Anton Lundellish. Yeah, I don't think he obviously he doesn't have the the talent above him that Anton Lundell benefited from. But as far as the ability to come in, play a meaningful role on on, on at least on a competitive team, it, it's been team nice scoring. to see somewhere Brett is absolutely crying mm-hmm. because. Uh, Try hard, Matty Beniers is actually a good hockey player. Yeah, uh, he's second in team scoring with 18 points in 21 games. Burkowski is the only one who has more with 21 and 21. But what a uh, signing that one was! Yeah, but uh, Beniers for the last four games he has nine points, so he's picked up half of those uh, 18 in the last four games with uh, just torching. The, in, the interdivision rivals in those games, especially the California <laughs> teams. Two assists against L.A., a goal and two assists against San Jose and Anaheim, and one assist against Vegas. So yeah, I hope this doesn't become a thing that he likes playing against us because we, we don't need any more duck, duck, killers. duck killers in division. Um, we've got enough of them on other teams, guys like Landis Cog and Rontanen and uh, yeah, but Duclair and Domi when they were with Arizona. So Landis Dog is a little bit more of an actual killer at times. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword with him. So he's literally and figuratively a duck killer. So. Good lord. But and somehow uh, it was Tyson Berry who ended Simone Dupre's career. Yeah. Mild-mannered sweetheart Tyson Berry, who I don't think anybody in Toronto would ever imagine he could throw a hit hard enough to hurt somebody. Meanwhile, six what was he six foot four, six foot five? Simone Dupre. Yeah, just got the absolute worst end of that hit, and was never the same. And that's just such a bummer because he's one of those what if scenarios. Because he yeah, for real something. Anywho, we are all the way off track already. No, no, we're, we're we're talking about the Ducks in context, sort of. There you go. Uh Ducks played Seattle last night. That's uh, true. Lost 5-4 after a, a nice comeback effort. Um, but since our last show, which was, I believe, November 10th, around then, uh, the Ducks have gone 2-6-0, and been outscored 29-18. to uh, The only game they had a positive expected goal for percentage was the first game of this these last eight. 3-2 loss to Chicago. On the season, these numbers are as of yesterday, so that power play might have creeped up a little bit with the three power play goals yesterday. Sure. 
Uh, but their goals per game was 31st at 2.48, goals against average 4.19, which ranks 31st, and a the league-worst penalty kill of 65.8% and a league-worst power play of 11.29%. Thugs are The fact that the power last. play is in double digits is a miracle. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's brutal. So the other thing I suppose that we should talk about that has happened in the gap is... Anaheim got their first regulation win against the Rangers. Yes. And I remember seeing the uh, comments on the game like, oh, man, the Ducks are beating up on a good team. Things are turning around. And then they immediately followed that up with a 5-1 loss to the Sens. Well, the other part <laughs> of it is, and, like, I, I had to, like, aggressively not be a joy kill when this happened because it's just so needless it's gonna it's been a long season already it's gonna be an even longer one and you know the people that i saw getting excited are people i like Mm -hmm. so i didn't really want to shit on anybody's parade but oh they tied it up let's go stewart it was it was a second uh a game it it was the back to back back. It was the second night of a back-to-back against a backup goaltender. Final game of a road trip, too. They still barely held on. (laughs) And then, like you said, they followed that up with just getting absolutely throttled by Ottawa. Uh, A game to which Pat has told us uh, is about as embarrassing a loss as could possibly happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah, He brought the the girlfriend to the wrong game. But I did say if you want to get the full Ducks hockey experience, probably the best game to bring her to. So, Well, look, he he was going to take her to a Bad Bunny concert, but those tickets are a literal an arm and a leg. So yeah. <laughs> look, turned out it was going to be Ducks hockey where uh, you could get in for, I think, like a half a pint of blood. Yeah. It, it, but, but when you get in there, the beer is three times the amount as your ticket. So. <laughs> and if you want to buy water, then you might as well just buy an extra ticket. So, <laughs> um, oh okay. So, quick, quick updated numbers: the goals per game total is actually now at two point five five, which is 29th in the league. So, out of the bottom uh, two, uh, the power play jumped up to fifteen point one, fifteen point fifteen percent. So, up four points, but it's still ranked thirty first in the league. <laughs> Uh, so, so wait, not wait, dead wait, last wait, wait, anymore. Wait. Not dead last. It's it's thirty first. Who is thirtieth, and what is their number? Thirtieth or thirty thirty second. Thirtieth. The team of oh boy. Okay, so hold on. I got to do some some searching now. I imagine I got to find a team with a bad power play. Wait, 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 wait. You said what are you looking at? Are you so not I, just... I I can just look at their their team and it will tell me their ranks. It it does. It's not. Oh. A, it's not an active list. I did not realize that. I it's apologize. Be one of these these bad teams, Philly. Yeah, Philly is dead last, fourteen point two nine percent. So the Ducks were a lot lower than the eleven percent that they were at. The Philly's also dead last in goals per game, at two point four one. And I am I imagine it's got to be thirtieth is Buffalo or somebody. Oh, Buffalo is the sixth best power play. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh... Montreal. Uh, 16.39% is the 30th ranked power play. The Ducks are at 15.15. So 1% away from being the worst power play and 1% away from being 30th. You know what's a miracle? 
Anaheim somehow has the 16th best expected goals for on the power play. I mean, it's not, I, I don't think it's super surprising. Um, you don't think a team that, that couldn't score a power play goal on a shooter tutor has a top half of the league expected goals percentage? I, I, yeah, I, I power just, play. the chances that they generate are great. They just don't have the finishers to pull it off a lot of times. And that second unit is significantly worse than that first unit. So whenever that first unit comes off, that second unit is, is very tough to watch at times. I think they're starting to figure it out. I, th- I, th- I think putting Zegras on the opposite side and having McTavish as the trigger man has, has opened a lot more options for them. Um, and it's it started to reap the benefits on the power play. We saw that in... Uh, in the game last night against Seattle, so potentially you're starting to see some finish to that to those numbers. But yeah, I, I still don't think um, there's any chance in hell they could have a 16th ranked power play. But if things turn around, maybe you get between that kind of 20 to 25 ranked and and at least be a little bit more consistent. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out what our power play percentage is right now. I need to know. It's uh, like, no, know. no, 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 I know, I know. But I just, so Columbus is 30th at 16 flat. Jeez. Rough. All right, now let's do penalty kill percentage. We're still, still dead last. Anaheim's dead last. Yeah. 65.4. Vancouver is 31st, 66.2. Oh, my God. We are so bad. Are we leading the league in penalty minutes? I hope we are. Hell yeah, we are. Yeah, I was six. Say, yeah, that's gotta Suck be it, up Minnesota. There. Um, and Minnesota's so, is a lot of it is is uh, majors. Uh, Mike <laughs> Felino on his own had 19 penalty minutes the other night. There's no such person. <laughs> that doesn't. That person does not exist. Like, maybe they have a cousin, but it's Marcus and Nick. <laughs> Mike Felino is not a person. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Mike Felino. Something lot, there is a Mike Felino. I should 100%. be a lot nicer to you since it's midnight. No, for no, you. no, no, no. There's a Mike Felino. There has to be. I mean, I'm sure that that person does exist. Is that they their dad? Do not play professional. I think that's their dad. Wild. I 100 percent think that's their dad. Oh, is that their dad who played for the Leafs? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's their dad. Classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn. Damn. All right, I was in the same family, so. Oof. Did you know yeah, um, Wade Redden is Mike Felino's nephew-in-law? Thanks to Elite Prospects for that one. Shout out. There we go. Thanks, guys. <laughs> how, they, how they find these things out. <laughs> like they, This is like the, the relationships they have on some of these pages. Like, okay, his sons. Then they have his nephew, which, okay, that's easy to, to track. Then they've got his uncle-in-law. <laughs> uncle-in-law. His, yeah, his uncle-in-law. Who uh, is uh, Eddie Giacomin, who played for the Red Wings? Oh, Eddie Giacomin. Giacomin, yeah, Giacomin. So he was a goaltender. Um, and then his nephew in law is Wade Redden, which is interesting. The pride of Ottawa. Um, what a weird, what a weird, stupid sport. So I guess Eddie, so I mean, I don't know how much niche shit we really want to get into. Like, I don't know that there's a ton of this team. You know, this team has like, I guess you could say, made some some steps forward, um, and yet, you know, again, I think there's a lot 
that you can read into that Ottawa loss as far as, oh, maybe we didn't come quite far as forward uh, as we had hoped. But um, Pat Verbeek gave an interview, I don't know, yesterday, today, whenever, but it was released today on the Duck Stream, uh, the second episode of the Beak podcast where he spoke with, I believe her name is... Alexis Downey. Alexis Downey, thank you. Uh, she did a great job. And, you know, I thought Verbeek, all things considered, was was pretty candid. Did you get a chance to listen to it? No, I have it queued up for after the podcast, ironically, but <laughs> poor timing on my part. No, uh, it's perfect. But I, I saw I, I, some of the, the key point breakdowns. I think you posted one in our Discord as well um, of, of a lot of the stuff he talked about. It seemed like a good interview from what I Yeah, heard. it was it was pretty interesting. I think Nothing you know, revolutionary, but just um, no, nice, but nice think, hearing from the GM at this point. Yeah, so. and I, I think all things considered that there was probably six, seven minutes of it that were – uh, legitimately useful as far as trying to get a vibe check on where he's at, where he's looking at this team. Um, you know, uh, they got into some prospects towards the end. They talked about Noah Warren. They talked about Minchikov and Zellweger and, and Leno and Gaucher. And who's the other kid they talked about? Pastrov? Uh, no. Hines. They talked about Tyson Hines. Nice. Okay. Um, oh, and they talked. Did did they not talk a little bit about Thrun and Lacombe about re- them resigning? Yes, they did. Yeah. Uh, even more, even even more a yeah. minute. Uh, so as you can see, it was really heavy on forwards. Um, but you know, there was some really interesting stuff. One of the things he said that uh, Connor from Red Rivals threw out there er, earlier uh, was that he said he can see Noah Warren and Pavel Minchikov as a pairing at the NHL level in the future and. I I don't know if you could have said any pairing that would have made me personally happier than uh, you know the incredibly dynamic player that we've seen Minchikov be and the just imposing figure that Noah Warren looks like he can be on a blue line and and really provide uh, a steady home base in a sense for Minchikov to go out and operate from and, and just be. You know, again, that incredibly dynamic uh, playmaking defenseman. Yeah, but, if you're going to want Mintikov to to do what he does best, he's like a roamer essentially. You need, yeah. uh, he's like a regista in soccer. Like you need, uh, you need somebody behind him that's going to sit back and yeah, and do nothing essentially in the offensive zone. So yeah, I, I, it's great to hear that because it it makes so much sense to put those two guys together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty natural one, much along the same lines as, as before this most recent draft. We were all kind of looking at Helleson and Zellweger in a similar vein as far as a, you know, I, I think Helleson isn't quite as much of a stay-at-home guy uh, or a pure stay-at-home guy in yeah. the way that Noah Warren kind of projects to be, but still a similar defensively smart, stable prospect uh, or, or profile of a player that will allow again Olin Zellweger to do all the crazy shit that he does. Yeah, he projects um, nicely for, again along the same lines of how Warren being kind of the pure stay at home with Mintikov and how Hellison is a bit more forward thinking in a sense, but still you know the Josh Manson type, right? Where Manson would occasionally yeah, get up in the play and whatnot. Where yeah, oh, Zellweger's no, not. Nothing. 
full out making some of those those bold plays up the ice. He's just going to use his skating as to his advantage. He can carry the puck up, but he doesn't have that same drive forward kind of mentality that Minchikov does. So it it, it would be nice to see Zellweger with Hellison. I think they'd complement each other pretty well. Yeah, it, Hellison, and then the other one that I think could be very interesting there, 3-2 Florida. This is a very good game. Uh, the other one that I think would be interesting is, is because of, like you're saying, where Zellweger isn't as brash yeah. in his, his, his attacking style as Minchikov is, uh, you could very easily see a situation where Leno pairs up with him and you kind of have a fake double pivot kind of situation where Luno is more than capable of being a puck mover and getting it up the ice, but he's still going to be a little bit more sit back and, and support a player like Zellweger. Um, one of the things from the interview that I thought was really interesting is, is he talked about how Minchikov and um, Zellweger both have some bad habits uh, at the junior level that are simply the result of them just being superior players. And, you know, he was just like, he said it a couple of times and it caught my ear um, was they're getting away with stuff at this level that they simply will not be able to get away with in the NHL. And so we want to put some more structure into their game. And and I thought that was really interesting, especially after our our conversation with Scott Wheeler, uh, you know, where he said, Zellweger doesn't, Again, he he doesn't have an abrasive offensive style in that sense. He's a lot more simple kind of uh, give-and-go, play-reading, simple passes kind of thing. So to still see that Pat Verbeek, you know, thinks that there are some kinks in his game to get ironed out, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways it's actually really encouraging because it means he's taking advantage of the talent disparity, which, again, his numbers clearly show. But, but even just from... You, you know, a, a, an analysis perspective uh, kind of play style way. It, it's nice to know that he's taking advantage of the talent disparity that he has over these other guys. And despite being, you know, four and a half feet tall or whatever he is, he still is going out there and making guys look silly yeah. uh, because he's just want. so much more talented. Yeah, no, it's 100% at, exactly at that level. Thing. Yeah. It's it's absolutely what you want. That is the confidence and the swagger you want to see these young guys play with when they are head and shoulders more talented than the guys around them. You know, that's that's the stuff you want to see. And I, I think, again, to go back to our conversation with Scott, one of the things I like the most is it never felt like they were just pure flash moments of brilliance. It was kind of just consistent, sustained excellence, right? Like... You know, some of the stuff with Lambert heading into the draft last year was just like he has these flashes, but then he also disappears for 30 minutes. Yep. And and it doesn't seem that that is what it is with these guys. And and um, it's it's nice to know that this is kind of their they're really just trying to exert their will onto the games that they're in at the level that they're at. Yeah, it's. I mean, Zellweger's season last year kind of spoke for itself in the fact that he was WHL Defenseman of the Year and probably should have been CHL Defenseman of the Year. It's like every night you you would tune in and you know you'd have two or three points and 
the the point totals are still there this year. Maybe not at the same level, and I think they're part of it is you know Everett's lost a, a fair amount of of some of their veteran players, um, so he's had to take on a, a bit of a different role as well. Of you know he doesn't have I think it was Sealy who was playing beside him last year, where you've got a lot of the veteran defensive defenseman type guys who he can mm-hmm. have that freedom. Uh, I don't think he has that as much this year, but he's still so talented. I think he put up. Uh, just an assist in the last game, but he had ten shots on goal. Like it's, right. it's unbelievable to see those numbers from the defenseman. And then you look at Minchikov this year, where Saginaw is better. They were horrible last year, and he was really the only thing. And they've added some some good players, and now they're a better team. And he has a bit more freedom and a bit more support. And I mean, it's there's not many prospects out there who are having a better draft plus one season than Pavel Minchikov is. Like he is. 24 games into the OHL season, which is a significant chunk of the uh, of the season. That's about a third of the way through now, if not a little bit over a third of the way through. And he has 35 points in those 24 games and 12 goals as a defenseman. So he sits oh, second in the league in scoring among all players. And in goal scoring, he is in the top 20. So he's re- he's tied for 16th with 12 goals as a defenseman. So it's uh, it's a little bit ridiculous. And and, and a quick uh, quick mention of our boy, Sasha Pastorov, because his name just flashed across my screen. He's ninth in the league in goal scoring. He's got 14 goals and 27 points in 20 games. So he's uh, since being traded to Sarnia, he's had a nice little boost in his production too. So Sorry, my dog just walked out of the bedroom and decided to grace me with his presence. And it's hilarious because he looks completely confused, and I don't know what's confusing him. It's very funny. Um, yeah, it's nice to see Sasha um, kind of find somewhat of a happy medium between how absurd he started off last year mm-hmm. and how cold it, it, it felt, right? Because, again, like I don't, I don't want to speak too, too much to how he, he was playing, but just his production kind of definitely dried up. As the season went on, which again, the way that the rate at which he was scoring early on was was simply unsustainable. Yeah. Um, but to see that he has kind of found a bit more of a happy medium has been really nice. Um, you know, he's a player that has a a skill set and a in a, 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 a fit that I think this team is is going to very much need either from him or from someone else down the line. Um, you know, his ability to kind of be that 50-50 create for myself and others um, playmaker, I, I think is going to have real value for this team as we see the top six fill out. I think he's got a chance to make it a real top nine. Yeah, he's um, he's just going to be a very creative... I don't want to use the word flash in the pan type skill player where like it might, he might not be a guy you notice. I think sudden is more of what you're thinking. Yeah. He's not a guy you're going to notice every time, but he has that ability to break open a game with his skill set. So he's a great guy to have in, in a middle six and, you know, hopefully a top six to put him on like a second line and put him with some good players and he can make things happen out there. And I think that's one thing the switch to to Sarnia has kind of helped with is they've got an established top line this year with some veteran guys and he kind of slots in into the top power play and onto the second line where he can kind of do his thing without a lot of the expectations to be the main guy like he was last year 
um, in in Guelph, and he did very well last year too. Don't get me wrong. And like you said, he had that hot start and consistency trailed off a bit, but he still put over, well over a point per game in his his rookie mm-hmm. OHL season. So he he's he's doing what you need him to do this year. If he sticks around that top 20 in scoring, sticks around the top 10 in goal scoring in that league, that's what you want to see from him. Obviously the change of scenery as well. Um, And then hopefully uh, a trip to the world juniors where he has a little bit more of an advanced role than the 13th man that he was for team USA last year. Um, Those Mm -hmm. are, I think those are the things you want to see from him. And, 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 you know, he doesn't need to go and have an MVP uh, well, juniors like to follow up Zegers and McTavish, uh, but just to have an advanced role and and be a bit more of a, a kind of goal scorer, point getter at that tournament. Yeah, exactly. Be someone they lean on a little bit more in high leverage situations and end of games. Uh, is Bedard a lefty? Righty. Damn it. What? I was going to say. I, I know. Here I am sitting here like, oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> hot shot center prospects are writing after bitching about it because we don't have any right now. Uh, no, I was just thinking uh, Bedard McTavish Pastiov is a very intriguing uh, uh, lineup potential. Um, I mean, uh, just reuniting. Bedard I mean, look, and you can McTavish put fucking me so... and you on the other side of Bedard and McTavish, and it'd still be a very intriguing line. So yeah, stick, stick right. on the ice. Uh, just go to the net. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Max Jones, Rocket Richard winner. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah it's 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 interesting um yeah so yeah the verbeek stuff i thought was interesting the other stuff that he kind of got into there and and i imagine was a bit more of the, the meat of what we wanted to talk about was was kind of his analysis of where this team is at um there's been a lot of talk around the team you know from the media from the media sounds so weird but like you know, in the again, the media has just become this really weird, gross word. Uh, you know, <clears throat> on podcasts, on TV, like, it's fucking, it's the media. Uh, the media, you know, the conversation around the ducks in, in in the media, the conversation around the ducks on Twitter, in in ducks Twitter, in in other places, right? Um, you know, I, I think on the one that we tried and failed to record yesterday, I, I specifically mentioned some of the conversations on Puck Soup yeah. uh, around the ducks. And just this kind of, there's this really weird kind of mix around the team of people who are, uh, you know, incredibly angry that this team is not par- performing particularly well. There, There's a group of people who seem to be taking some delight in that. I imagine some people would think I fall into that group. Uh, and then there's a lot of people who just seem to want some idea of what this all kind of means. And, and, and I think that's part of the, the conversation with Verbeek that came out today that I thought was really interesting. You know, Alexis asked him about uh, Dallas Akins and she was like, you know, you've said that your plan for coaching staff was not to make a decision until the end of the year. Is that still where you are? And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, 20 games in is, is not nothing, but it's also not a lot. Uh, you know, he specifically talked about some of the inconsistencies or, or not some of the inconsistencies, but some of the pronounced shortcomings that this team has had on special teams. Uh, you know, he specifically said that he felt like in the last 10 games, the five on five play has has started to balance out, which, you know, echoes comments that we heard from Dallas Aikens. 
before the game last night. So if nothing else, the fact that the messaging is semi-consistent, uh, right, even if they're not necessarily on the same page with how they're interpreting that, the messaging and the way that they're talking about it publicly, it, it, there's a level of consistency there. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and, and it was interesting. Um, you know, we were talking about a little bit in Discord today, obviously, and, and, and me and somebody else, I think it was Mark, were kind of on different ends of how we interpreted his comments around the power play and special teams. And Mark took it as a, a comment about the systems, and I took it more about just a comment about the decision making uh, from the players. You know, and, and I listened to it again, and, and, and I think it would be fair to say that both of those things kind of felt like they were really kind of points that he was talking about. Um, you know, he, he mentioned the players kind of overhandling it, there not being a lot of, of, of one touch passing on the power play he talked about guys just kind of generally being out of position and making mistakes on the penalty kill and on the power play and you know it, it I, this is something i actually you know it's a podcast with two of us so at some point you would like to talk i imagine so i want to get your thoughts on this but when you hear comments like that like how where for you do you think you kind of try to delineate between where the coach comes into it, where the players come into it, how how do you kind of approach trying to kind of mete out responsibility or blame, as it were, for the way I think the the way the team is playing? Yeah, I, I think from what a lot of we've seen lately is um, there there seemed to be an understanding at the beginning of the year and even near the end of last year that it was kind of a shared blame. And then we've gotten to this point where the general public has now put a lot more of the blame on Dallas Aikens, which is understandable. The team hasn't been good and you're looking for kind of a scapegoat or an out. But a lot of that conversation of why the power play is so bad, why penalty kill is so bad, why the team is so bad has kind of fallen on the coaching staff in Dallas Aikens, which, again, rightfully so, they're part of the equation. But I do think it is it is a split. Like, at the end of the day, you have players out there who have to perform given the situation, and that top unit is talented enough to be a better power play and be in a better position than they are, um, and, and then they have been, and you have outbursts like last night that show you that they have the ability to do so, but can the consistency hasn't been there for them to get going and get themselves back in games. So I, I do think it, it it is fair to share that blame a bit, and I, I can see from both sides there when you look at the fact that the way you interpreted his comments, the way Mark interpreted his comments of it being a bit more on the coaching staff or being a bit more on the players, I, I do think that responsibility is shared. Whether it's 50-50 or not, I think that's up for debate on how much responsibility you, you say is on the coaching staff and how much is on the players for that power play and those special team units to produce. But I, I there there has to be a share of the blame. You can't specifically point to one or the other and say they're the main reason that the power player, that the penalty kill is, has not been good. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's that's totally fair. It's It's really interesting for me because I think you know, like I, I kind of made a comment to Brett about this earlier, being a smartass. But like, these guys have been playing hockey their whole fucking lives. Like, they know roughly what to fucking do, right? And that's not to minimize the impact of coaching, or or the impact. More importantly, I think a lot of people would say the impact of bad or good coaching, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think it's uh, Chris Watkins Yellow on Twitter who who has made the comment more than a couple of times that he feels like that that at best between the best and the worst there are seven or eight coaches that make a real difference uh, on your winning percentage in the NHL and beyond that a lot of it's more of just don't screw this up and try to put players in a good spot and you know it's something I've been thinking a lot about because again I think the the reality of the Dallas Eakins tenure has, has been so up and down and it's been very disappointing in a lot of ways. But, you know, I personally have appreciated the perspective that he's brought to the team as, as far as professionalism and, and things like that. But I do think it's more than fair to say that there are times at which this team is clearly lacking or, or clearly wanting for a bit more. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that I try to look for is, do I feel like guys are playing above their head? Oh, the fucking Oilers just won. Spencer Knight, you're a disgrace. So a 3-2 Florida a couple minutes ago? Yeah, it was 3-2 Florida, and then the Oilers scored it, and you were talking, so I didn't want to interrupt you, but I have no problem stopping myself. And fucking Leon Dreisaitl just scored in overtime. There is no God. Nothing matters. Oh, the Oilers scored with five seconds to go in the... Yeah, it, to tie, to tie it was it was nice, but God, I hate Leon Dreisaitl so much. <clears throat> Speaking um, of duck killers, that's uh, he's dude, no shit, fucking guy. Whatever, still hasn't beat us in the playoffs, bitch. <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry, I don't know don't where like this is him. coming. I dislike. You want to just dude. talk about Leon Dreisaitl for the rest of the? It's absurd, dude. No, because what this doesn't need to be is therapy. <laughs> uh, Show me on the the diagram where the bad man scored the goals. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, one of the things that I, I look for when I'm trying to figure out what impact, if any, a coach is having is guys playing above themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair to say that there aren't a lot of guys right now that are playing above themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, you could argue there aren't really any, right? Anybody, right, for sure. And I also don't think... You know, I also think that there are a lot of guys playing beneath themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that I'm necessarily the most comfortable with pinning on the coach. But it is the coach's job to get the buy-in that helps mitigate that, right? Yeah. I don't think this defense is very good at defense. I think there is a version of this team that is a bit more competitive at five-on-five and that is, again, like we've talked about a thousand times, all gas, no brakes, just attack, attack, attack. But I don't think the forward group is necessarily strong enough yet to support that. And I, I don't think that, like, like to that end, that they, they don't generate enough quality chances at the other end um, to make that a, a sustainable type of play. So all of this is to say is like, I I think it is more than fair to criticize Dallas Aikens for some of the things that he has done, some of the decisions he's making. He's made. Good. Wow, I don't know how to speak tonight. It's Leon but, I said all these guys you, you heated. He's got me all hot and bothered. Um, but one of the kind of things that I came out of the game last night with is wondering – at what point do people get mad at Pat Verbeek for the roster he's put together? And that's something I wanted to get your thoughts on. My dog is dreaming. It's adorable. Um, you guys might hear him in the background. If so, you're welcome. It's adorable. 
Um, but like, you know, this is something I said on Twitter and, and I think about it a lot. Like at the height of the Lob City Clippers era, there was an anonymous GM who spoke to somebody at ESPN about, you know, about kind of what the realities of this team were, why they didn't seem to have any real bench support beyond two or three guys at any given time. And the guy made the comment is he's playing all these old guys, all these old vets that he's comfortable with over these younger guys that they've brought in, which isn't allowing these young guys to grow and is preventing them from being ready when the end of the season comes. And he said, the thing that I would do if I was the GM is I'd start trading those guys. I would force his hand. I would make him play these guys. And I think that is something that I've, I've, I've really kind of – I don't know why, but it's really stuck in my head. And, and it's something that I, I think is a part of this that when it comes to a rebuilding team – there is a part of this that I think is being ignored, which is Pat Verbeek seems to be fine with this fucking team. He has had opportunities to improve this team, whether that be through waivers, whether that be through trades, whether that be through things in the offseason, right? Like you can't tell me John Marino doesn't fit the timeline of this team. He chose not to go after him. That's fine. I, you know, I, he has the decisions that he has made have by and large left me in a position to trust him. But I think part of that comes with an acknowledgement that he has made the choice that this is the roster he wants and it's not a great roster. Yeah. I feel like a conscious choice. And, and at what point do we stop being mad at Dallas Akins for simply playing the guys that he has? I think, I, th- I think it's beyond this season. Um, and it come and that would potentially come with a new coach. I, I, I don't think that the blame shifts off Dallas Akins as long as he's coach of the Anaheim Ducks. I, I just can't see it. It's a valid point for sure because there have been opportunities for the Ducks to get better, even beyond the offseason. Like I, I can't argue too much with like Barino. I it makes sense, but when you think, okay, well the Ducks were were expecting to head into this season with Drysdale, Klingberg, Shattenkirk, and that's what they were gonna go with. Whether you expect to trade both Shattenkirk and Klingberg at some point, you still had um, you know, Fowler on the left side as as well. Uh and then you have Benoit who you want to play. So like you've got guys that you want to see in your own organization. So I can understand that thought process in a sense. But you know, we talked about the Mike Riley thing on waivers and the injuries they're going through, why not bring in a guy like that? You've got the cap space to make it work. You're going to move these guys at some point, so you need some NHL bodies. So for sure, I think we'll, we'll start to see that conversation come more and more. But I think it's beyond this year. I think there was clear expectations from, I, I mean, you know, Ruby can get on there and say he expected this team to be 500 at this point, and they're talented enough. I, I think the clear expectations for, were from this team that they're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to be good enough. And at some point, they're going to. They brought in guys specifically to trade. They brought in John Klingberg mm-hmm. to make the team better now and to move him out. Shattenkirk is going to get moved out. Vitrano possibly could get moved out. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. And you know, there's a there's a few other guys on this team who could generate interest and get moved out at some point. I think I would be more in that camp of criticizing him a little bit. 
if it was similar, you know, a little bit more similar to that Clippers situation in the sense that he was Dallas Higgins was playing old guys over the, the rookies and weren't giving them a chance. The Ducks don't have anybody beyond this roster right now who's knocking on the door and is ready 100% to go, right? Like Perot and Tracy and Hellison are getting closer. I don't think they're there yet. And some of them might be forced to play later on in the year when they are a bit more ready when the Ducks make these moves mm-hmm. anyway. But yeah, we, we aren't far away from that being the case. I think he's too fresh into the position and the sca- the easy scapegoat still right now is Dallas Akins. But once that change is made and we get into the next season after this, and if you know there aren't active you know decisions to make the team better when they are presented to the to the ducks as an option, then I think that that might start shifting. Hopefully we don't get to that point because so I do still have faith in Verbeek to, to make the right moves. I, so that's the thing. I I, 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 I want to clarify because I don't know if, if, if I wasn't very clear. I don't think it is about criticizing Verbeek, right? I think that the decisions he's made so far have been largely correct. Again, I think here and there you could say, ooh, would have been nice to bring that guy in, maybe stabilize that line or that back end a little bit more. And, and, and I think those are reasonable comments and, and critiques to an extent. But I think what it is is more for me is that it, it, it feels that we are ignoring the conscious decision made by Pat Verbeek to put this roster out there. And it's kind of just feels like Derek Grant's shit, you know, Nathan Bolyu's shit, and Dallas Akins is the reason this team isn't winning and John Gibson can't make a save. It's like... Okay, fine, but like Dallas Akins can only play the guys that he has. And if Pat Verbeek didn't like the decisions he was making, he can force him to do different things. Right. He's his boss. That's how this works. It's a chain of command. And 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 I just think that is part of this that has been ignored. And and maybe it is as like you're saying, is that he doesn't even kind of come into the picture because it's so clear that he's still putting his, his his touches, you know, his, his mark on this roster. But at a certain point, it gets very hard for me to kind of take certain comments about Dallas Aikens inability to coach seriously when it's not being acknowledged that like, he's not really being given a winning hand. And again, the job of the coach is to make the team pay better, is, is, is to make the team greater than the sum of its parts. I'm not ignoring that. But you can only do so much. You can only go so far in a boat with holes in it. You know what I mean? And like Dallas Akins is the captain. He's trying to get the boat going. But the dude who built the boat put holes in it on purpose, it feels like. And that should matter when he sinks halfway across the river. And and this is all just a really ugly, gross metaphor because it doesn't make any real sense. But I, I just think, you know, that's the part of this for me is if you trust Verbeek and you trust the decisions that he's made, then you also need to kind of trickle, not trickle down, but like, like downstream, some of that benefit needs to transfer to these players. It needs to transfer to these coaching decisions. Because they tacitly all have his stamp of approval on him. Because he could fucking fire Dallas Akins tomorrow. It's the last year of his deal. You know, there's no long-term money commitment. 
more than likely, if Dallas Akins doesn't make it to the end of this year, it's an interim guy. It's probably Stuthers. I think it's Stuthers um, who gets the the promotion. And it's like, all right, man, you got 20 games or whatever it is. Show us what you got. You know, I don't think they're bringing in Claude Julian with 15 games to go. So I don't think there's any financial disincentive to changing coaching staff given the reality of the team. Which, again, to me means... He's fine with where this is at. And if that's the case, and if you do have faith in him, you can't then just say this team is a disaster and it's not all his fault. Yeah, I, I think... Because I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to bury Pat Verbeek. That is not at all what I'm trying to do. No. I'm just saying I think there is a little bit of a... a it, a logical inconsistency with the way these criticisms are being framed. Yeah, if, if you're going to come out here and say that Dallas Higgins is the reason this team is bad and the only reason this team is bad and without him they'd be better, then you have to put, again, like you're saying, you have to put some of that onto Pat Verbeek for allowing it to happen. I think no matter what, this team is going to be bad no matter who's behind the bench and with the roster that they have. Um, and I, like, listen, I, I, res- I can respect Verbeek for coming out and saying in the interview that he thinks that this team should have been around the 500 level. I think that's in the best case. I think they had a best case expectation, a worst case expectation. And right now the Ducks are near the worst case expectation for this season of being mm-hmm. the bottom. But I don't think they're surprised by it by any means. I think they, they felt like this was in the realm of possibility for what could happen if things didn't go well for them this year. And they're prepared for it. And when things are going this way and you've got a light at the end of the tunnel of another high draft pick and to continue the rebuild and you have a plan set for that of having trade ships like John Klingberg or Kevin Shattenkirk or Frank Vitrano, you shift the plan a bit. And you don't go necessarily to make some of these additions to make the team better when now you're you're sticking to this plan of, okay, you know this is the way the team has performed. We're shifting our thought process for this season a little bit. We're going to stick with what we have. And when the right move comes up or when we're in a position where we think we're going to get the most for some of these guys that we're going to move out, then we're going to do that. We're going to stick with this coach for the majority of the year and make the decision at the end of the season when we don't have to have an interim guy come in, change up the locker room a little bit, have different voices, keep Dallas Akins in there. He's doing some of the the right things that you want in a locker room perspective, bring in the new voice at the end of the year when you have that full runway to look at who's available and who's the best fit. So I, I think there's a longer-term approach that, they, that they've that they maybe – I think it's always been in place, but they've now focused on for the rest of this year because of how things have panned out on the ice and how the results have come in. That now it's like, okay – we don't like this, but we're okay with this. This is how this year is going to go. And, you know, these are the steps that we're going to take now to continue throughout the rest of the season. And it is kind of a sit and wait. This team is as bad as it is. We're not going to make any rash decisions to improve them now. We're just going to make the right decisions when it's time to. Yeah. I, I mean, look, as of right now, this team is, you know, to your point about 500 being, uh, the best case scenario. This team is nine points out of the last wild card spot. Minnesota has it at 22 points. Anaheim has 13. 
the math is actually pretty simple. If you drop it to, if you take three losses and make them three wins, and you take three losses and make them three overtime losses, you now have a team that's nine, nine, and four and is twenty-two points. Yeah, you go on a five-game winning streak. You're close, right? close to five hundred. So, so, you know, so to the extent that it's only, you know, because again, Anaheim only has one overtime loss this year. They only have one loser point. And part of that is they only have one regulation win. So it seems like the majority of the times that they're going into overtime, they were winning early on. Yeah, they've had uh, a, they've had a lot of games where they've been tied, or leading, or you know, late in late, the game and yeah. final five, you know, five to three minutes left in the game. There's a goal scored. Um, Winnipeg recently, right. Kyle Connor scored. I think even last night, the the late goal in the third period by Seattle to win the game. Like they're they're in Can't these games. Who it was either. Yeah, nobody, yeah. No, we're not going to mention that. Uh, they're they're in these games. But ultimately, lose in regulation, right? It, it's it's you're, you're close to winning them. Ultimately, it doesn't matter if you don't get well, the two points out of it. But they're they're in these games, and when they've gotten to the extra, they're in session, some of these games, and I yeah. think that's exactly right to what you're saying, right? Like, I do agree with you that 500 is a bit of a pipe dream, bit of a best case scenario. But to be fair, the math does show that a little bit closer to 500, and this team is where a lot of people thought it could have been. So to that extent, right, yeah, I, I, I think there's something to what he's saying that is fair and reasonable. I also think if you asked him in a moment of 100% brutal honesty, he'd say, when I said at 500 or close to it, I was leaning more towards close to it yeah. than I was at. Yeah. Which, again, I don't have a problem with. I, I, it's just... I just think it's very interesting because of where this team is at in the standings, how clearly they are all the way out of it already. You know, we were kind of joking about this. Um, I think it was in Discord or on Twitter. I, oh, I think it was Twitter where me and Brett were joking that they're basically the St. Louis Blues from a couple of years ago. All they got to do is change the coach and they're going to make a run. Um. You know, and it's just one of those things where I, I get, I just think the totality of circumstance paints a pretty clear picture of a team with some very promising pieces and quite a bit of ways to go in terms of being a complete roster that can compete on a nightly basis. Um, and I just think the quality of the roster part of this and the part of it where that is the part Verbeek has control over is lost in an attempt to talk about why Dallas Eakins isn't the long-term fit at head coach, which again, don't disagree. I actually, you know, I came out of this interview with my mind changed in so much as I said going into the year, I didn't think he'd make it to Valentine's day. I don't, I, I think he coaches 82 games this year at this point, based on the way that Verbeek talked about it I, I it seems like he's gonna he as of this point at the very least he has every intention of giving Aikens as absolute long as he can stomach it which is great I think that's fine and fair and you know you want to see what you get you want to keep these guys in a similar situation that's they're being uh, realistic too like they they know without adding this only gets worse when you move on from those trade chips right so mm -hmm. If it if this is rock bottom now being the worst team in the in the National Hockey League right now it doesn't really get worse than this 
you know, unless you rattle off, you know, 15 or 20 straight losses. But even at that point, you're still in the same position. You're still last in the league and you know right. it's going to get worse. What do you possibly gain at this point from changing the coach out in the middle of the season other than potentially damaging maybe the only positive signs you have is that the locker room seems to be in pretty good shape and they do seem to be behind Dallas Akins and supporting him despite, you know, the lack of wins on the season. Like I haven't seen, you know, you, you watch them win. I think I can't remember the last game they won in overtime, but you, you watch that victory and you would think they were a team who were, you know, 10, five and one on the season. Like the guys are pumped. They're happy for each other. They're excited, which I mean, you see that in all wins, but there doesn't seem to, this doesn't seem to be weighing on them as much it would as it would be if there wasn't, support you know in the locker room. right there wasn't a support of the coaching staff they, they seem to there have a sense of togetherness which is nice um so what do you benefit right now of, of firing dallas akins other than just to change things up and and you know present this public face of okay we got to make a change here right like i i don't see the benefit on ice i don't think anything would really change i think again this roster isn't good enough to turn things around significantly and I don't see the benefit behind the scenes in terms of you know locker room and everything like that on, on how a coaching change changes anything at this point I still I'm still a proponent of just run the contract out at the end of the season and pick make your pick of the best available guys like you know, Andrew Burnett is I think a top candidate for a lot of people, but there'll be a lot of other names that will be available um, as the the season comes to an end. You know, based on how teams do, assistant coaches like Brunette and how they're doing outside of the National Hockey League as well, college wherever. Looking at some of the top options there overseas, other NHL head coaches who get fired and and could be available at that point. Like your most options come available at the end of the year. So I'm uh, I'm I'm I'm. I'm on board to wait. I, I would probably change my tune if it was visible that there were issues with the player's side of things with the coach, but I just mm-hmm. haven't seen anything. And, and obviously we don't know, but I haven't seen anything to indicate that. And sometimes you can see those signs where the team just isn't buying in to what the coach is putting out there. And I just, I don't see that from the Ducks just yet. No, I, I, I agree. I, I think there is always the chance that our perception is is wrong. Good, bad, indifferent, right? Of the way that this team as a unit is getting along, as a way that this team as a unit is responding to the coaching staff, you know, and the expectations and the noise around. Like, these things can absolutely go without anything getting out and, 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 and fans not knowing, especially in a, a smaller market like Anaheim. That being said, we have seen instances of this kind of thing leak out, right? Either in play, in interviews, in in little things here and there, even if it's just in rumors around the team. To like you're saying, none of that's really there. So at this point, it seems more reasonable than not that he hasn't lost the room. And if he hasn't lost the room, I don't think there is any real justification for getting rid of him beyond there are much higher expectations than these results ha- ha- than than the results that they are getting and that doesn't seem to be the case yeah. yes I, I, there I, seems to be an expectation of of more uh, of more quality play of being in these games a little bit longer 
but there doesn't really seem to be, you know, any burn it all down. This is unacceptable type shit from from this front office, and justifiably so. Yeah, there's just and, moments that you could have seen if that was the case, where like at the five one loss to Ottawa, if the expectations mm-hmm. were significantly higher, and you're losing to a team who is you know standings wise just as bad as you that's one of those games where if you don't have the confidence in the coaching staff Mm. or at least you expect this team to be significantly better you make the change there you're you know a quarter of the way through the season you've come off a an impressive win against a top team in the rangers and you just followed up with a 5-1 loss and you're now rock bottom in the national hockey that feels like a game that if you wanted to fire the coach you could have I don't see, again, like I said, I don't see how it gets worse than that, right? And worse than what Mm -hmm. it is already that you say, okay, now that's too much. Now we have to let him go. Unless, again, like I said, you rattle off 10 or 15 straight losses and then all of a sudden now you lose the room and things start to deteriorate to a point where there's there's no return from it. Uh, But that's the only way out there kind of, result that I could see Dallas Higgins getting fired before the end of the season because again like we said like we we know and the general manager knows and everybody around the team knows that come you know February March when the trade deadline uh, is is here that this team is going to get worse they are going to get worse because they are going to move on from players that are that play a significant role on this team guys like Klingberg guys like Shattenkirk potential other depth players on this team as well you're going to lose those guys and likely not replace them with somebody of of the same caliber. So we know it's going to get worse at some point in terms of quality on the roster. So there just doesn't seem like a scenario where they're going to wake up one day and say, okay, this is the time to let them go. Yeah. I, I So you talked about motivations for changing coaches in a way that provides a very fun and interesting opportunity for me to talk about my uh, favorite player in the entire National Hockey League, Ryan Reeves. But before we get there, I do want to talk about the Frank Toronto thing because I think it is very, very interesting that his name is out there. Mm -hmm. He's played well. He has done what they have expected of him. He doesn't make an obscene amount of money by any stretch of the imagination. It's only a three-year deal. He's at a good age, coming off good production. There are lots of reasons there to think that if a team is looking for adding some scoring, he is a player that they could be interested in. That being said, I don't know that it ever even dawned on me that his name would be coming up on the 32 Thoughts podcast or the Jeff Merrick show, whichever one it was, uh, in November. Yeah. I I would have – if you would have asked me, I would have expected Henrique, Lundestrom, Comtois, and Jones to be guys that were brought up as – teams looking to make some depth additions or teams looking to add some, you know, maybe a little extra top of the line of talent. And, and very clearly that is Henrik and Comtois are the guys that I think you can have a lot of teams talk themselves into. We can plug them into their top six. They can be the third guy on a good line 
and be helpful and impactful. Lundestrom, uh, Jones, maybe even Carrick are guys that you could very easily talk yourself into. Uh, Derek Grant even. Guys that you can talk yourself into. They're going to bring them in, put them in our bottom six. They're going to kill penalties. They're going to take some of that pressure, some of that workload off of some of our other players and allow them to kind of, uh, you know, go out and do that thing. Do you think Vetrano's name being out there is more a reflection of it being linked to Toronto or... He's just kind of having a, a perfectly good year and everything, like I said, he doesn't make that much money, he doesn't have that much term, and he's a good player. Like, uh, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting situation because I'm in the same boat as you. I, I didn't expect his name to come up. It's, it's not like a contract you sign a guy to that you expect to trade, you know, mm-hmm. 30 games into the following season. Um, yeah. I think... More so his name's out there because of the position the Ducks are in. They're not a good team. Names are going to start mm-hmm. coming up as options sure. for anybody because everybody, and I think even uh, Friedman mentioned it, maybe it's not in the same hit, but teams are, are looking at the Ducks and wondering what they're going to do because at some point they're going to have to do something. And I think that's where a lot of these names are coming up. And we're going to see guys like Henrik and Lindstrom and everybody added to that list at some point here as people just kind of speculate what the Ducks could do. And, you know, looking at what teams like Toronto need and, you know, needing some goal scoring depth and kind of, you know, tying the, the loose ends together saying, okay, well, the Ducks have this guy it's not a major part of their team. They eat some salary. He could fit into Toronto salary cap situation, and he could fill a depth scoring need, and they start to kind of connect those dots as, okay, for Toronto, Toronto is interested in Vitrano, and that could be a, you know an a option for the Ducks to move him on. That was a tough one to say. So Yeah, you got through <laughs> it, man. I'm proud of you. Toronto but, in on Vitrano. Good Lord. I, I, I think it's more so people connecting the dots and seeing he would be a good fit for the Leafs, and he mm-hmm. could fit there, and the Ducks are in such a situation that it's not possible for them to move him. I still would be shocked to see him traded in front of others in the forward group. Mm-hmm. Um, just again, with the, the, you know, the term and the contract, uh, the amount of money he was given, it, it just doesn't seem like a contract you sign a guy to, to move out the door. But Hey, I mean, again, I think at the end of the day, if the offer is right, most of these mm-hmm. guys are available to be moved out. I think beyond Zegris. Before and, you say that, yeah. here's what I want to ask you. Don't count. Just off the top of your head, what is the first number that logically pops into your brain? How many guys on this team are untouchable? What is the first number that comes into your head? And I mean on the roster right now. Um, and not including injured guys? Uh, no, we'll leave Jamie off. Okay. Three? And I assume it's the three forwards. Yeah, it's uh, McTavish, Terry, Zegers. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I, I can't. I can talk myself into anybody getting moved out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I was just curious because, you know, that's kind of the direction that we were going where you were saying at this point, if the offer's right, anybody's available. And I think that is 100% true. Um, you know, like if somebody I, I, comes in with a ridiculous offer for Ryan Strom, like, do you say no? No, you can't. It, you it's, can't. it's negligence to take say no. Uh, again, assuming that it's not an issue where Ryan Strom now is out there bad mouthing you to other players. You, you again, right? Because there is something to be said of the guy came in. He's like what twenty eight, twenty nine, signed a five year deal. 
Yeah. He made a commitment to this team. You made a commitment to him. It is a business. Everybody understands that. There are also people, and sometimes the business yeah. part of it. He's, a, he's un- maybe untouchable in a different sense, and like you probably shouldn't do that to a guy, right? Like, no, for sure. Yeah. I think you could say him, Cam, um, arguably even Henrique are guys where you're like, there's really no reason we should be in a rush to move these guys out, and it it's unlikely that somebody makes an offer that it's worth it. Yeah. You know, I, I think if you want to say Strom and Henrique are in that group and then Cam and Gibson are in the – they mean a lot to us. We would probably like to keep them, and we also just don't see anybody giving us something that makes it worth it. Yes, they're, they're difficult to pull off with the cap and the term and not really being being comfortable eating you know, a significant amount of right. that salary for the length of those contracts that they just don't seem possible to pull off. I, I would even maybe throw Strom into the mix with Fowler and Gibson and then leave Henry kind of in that limbo area mm-hmm. where I think it's more likely he gets traded. But he does have that same argument with these guys. He means a lot to the team. He's by far right now, production-wise, the third best forward uh, on this team. Where you look at the, the last week that he had eight points in eight games, like he he is still valuable um, mm-hmm. to this team as a leader on this team as well. So it, he's one of those guys that's hard to let go. But I think more so above the other three, if the right offer comes in for him, I think you're you're it's an easier deal to pull off with the amount of years mm-hmm. he has left. The fact that I think you'd be more comfortable eating that, you know, around 50% for the two years rather than, you know, three or four or five in, in terms of Gibson and, and Strom and Fowler. So I, I think he's more likely to be moved, but uh, he definitely fits in that same mold as those other guys. Yeah. Uh, I am... I don't want to say it. I have been pleasantly surprised to see Adam Henrique bounce back from getting waived. Um... What would that have been? The fifty-six game season. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The way that he's responded, the way that this team clearly seems—you know—the players on this team ser- clearly seem to have a lot of uh, respect and, and appreciation for him. It's it's been really nice to see because he's always been a good dude. Like he's a very easy guy to root for. Um, you know, I, I mean. Again, one of those guys that like his first play at Anaheim is he goes, you know, up and around the guy he was traded for. Like, yeah. it, there's just so much to his story arc in general to to like, even if you you know even. He's just been the, the definition of, of consistency too in Anaheim, right? Like even I, I mean, even when ways, there's yes. times I, I where think to me more than anything he's been the definition of a professional. Yeah. Because I, I do think that there have been legitimate moments where his consistency has been significantly lacking as far as his ability to be an impactful player. But it's also been a bit of a shit show at times, and so I don't know that you want to necessarily penalize him for yeah. being an older player on a struggling team on a contract that you can kind of go, mm, maybe not the best contract we've given up, right? Like. He has been a, a professional through and through, and to see him emerge as one of the more respected veteran voices on this team in the absence of Getzloff, in the absence of Perry even, has been very nice. Uh, 
Yeah, I think more so the the definition of consistency. He does have his times again where he he got waived, where like the production isn't there. At the end of the year, when all things are said and done, you know this guy is going to be around twenty goals, around forty points. Yeah, a that's leader fair, on the sure. team. He's he's just going to find a way to kind of get to those marks, no matter mm-hmm. what he's done it throughout his entire career. Did it, you know, for years in in New Jersey and for the, the now four seasons um, that he's been in Anaheim. Like, again, he started the season slow. He didn't have any production. He had three points in, in the first, you know, 14 games or so. And then over the last stretch, he put, put up seven points in the last eight games and has started, you know, getting going and, and getting back to the player that you kind of expect him to be. And I don't doubt later on in the season there will be another stretch where he goes, you know, with a couple points in 10 games, and then he'll find another stretch where he gets hot like this and, and ends up getting – right close to those 20 goal 40 point marks it's just what he does and you know he'll uh, he'll eventually get close to those targets no matter how bad the team is he's he's going to be given the opportunities too right again he's going to play top 6 minutes he's going to play top power play like he is right now or at least uh, on the power play uh and he's going to continue to be a leader on this team so yeah he he is uh been a, a more than valuable addition when you look at successful trades for the Ducks in this tough era, it's hard to argue that that one hasn't panned right. out for Anaheim. No, for sure. I, I think that's more than fair. Um, do you have anything else you want to do before we get to the Ryan Reeves shit? No, I was just about to say, I, I know you're waiting to get to Ryan Reeves. So we, we... I just, okay, so uh, <laughs> people are, aren't going to believe this, but this is going to be me ranting for a few minutes. So, Eddie, if you want to take a smoke break. Yeah, how, how, how do you want to preface this? Because is I, it specifically just the, you know, the issue people had with Ryan Reeves getting traded for assets or the fact that um, probably you were called out specifically for uh, wanting the ducks to go in for Ryan Reeves. So. I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I here's the thing: the Forever Mighty Twitter account posted a tweet that was absolutely from me, saying, "Damn, I really would like to bring Ryan Reeves into this team." You're never gonna believe this, but a lot of people didn't like that because Ryan Reeves is a punchy in the face guy. And fair enough. But I have found that a significant portion of the criticism, in my opinion, to be incredibly disingenuous or poorly thought out. And I don't think everybody's stupid, so I can only assume, you know, it's semi-bad faith. Because some of the comments were basically... Why would a team as dog shit as Anaheim give up assets for a dog shit player like Ryan Reeves who isn't going to make this team better? Then, like, yeah, sure. Do you want to approach this from an actuarial sense? Giving up an asset for a player who does not have a positive on-ice impact via the numbers. Sure. Actu- and again, the, in an actuarial makes sense, sense yeah. I, I understand it. Mm-hmm. However, nobody, literally nobody, thinks adding Ryan Reeves to this team makes them a quote-unquote 
better team in the sense of they're suddenly going to start pushing for a wild card spot and they're going to end the season closer to 15th than first in the lottery order. Nobody fucking believes that. And I know that because I'm one of the five or six people who are like, damn, it would kick ass to bring Ryan Reeves in. And I don't fucking believe that. To this point, and I'm going to mention Connor again, who's somebody I, I've, I've really enjoyed his perspective about Anaheim this year and stuff. And, and, and last year and stuff as I've gotten to know him more and things like that. Me and him have had a conversation more than a few times about Dallas Akins and about firing Dallas Akins and about what, if anything, it accomplishes. His point has been, yeah, I don't think firing Dallas Akins makes this a playoff team. That would be stupid. But what I do think is it could help change the vibe in the room. It can change the environment in which these players are coming to work. It can make the atmosphere that these players are operating in a little bit more tenable, a little bit easier, right? There is a degree to which this is operating from a sense of Aikens has lost the room, but there is also a part of this that I know because I've talked to Connor about it, where he is operating from a sense of it just gets really hard to lose all the fucking time. It's just not easy. Totally fair. Totally fair. But to the same extent that we understand changing coaches doesn't change the long-term trajectory or, or the immediate trajectory of this team, neither does changing fourth liners. The fact that he's going to put up a 35 expected goals for percentage in six minutes of even strength time a night. To me, the idea of if you're looking at Ryan Reeves and adding him to a team and you are looking at play driving, you are missing the point completely. You either just don't get why someone like me wants to bring him in or you do and you're pretending you don't. It is about all of the other parts of this. I, I, I bookmarked this and I really want to um, I really want to just read this quote because I really do think and again, I don't know that this helps my argument necessarily because the guy I'm quoting traded for Ryan Reeves, but this is what Bill Guerin said. It's not the it's not for the fighting. He's a big personality. He's got a lot of energy. He's got swagger. We've been missing that. The energy he brings is really good. And size, he's going to help us get our identity back. This is a team whose number one center, depending on how you want to look at it, is either Joel Erickson or Ryan Hartman, guys who are physical presences. These are teams that have been built around you know, again, historically, even these Matt Dumba, not the biggest guy, physical guy. Um, you've got guys like Miku Koivu, historically, who have been a big part of this team. He was not afraid of anybody. He did not back down. He played a physical game. He went at it with the Ducks constantly, and it kicked ass. You had Zuccarello on that team as well. He was one of the smaller guys in the league, but he doesn't really back down from a lot. No, not at all. And, and, and for me, what Bill Guerin is talking about is this, this word that is, you know, taboo, but intangibles. It doesn't have to show up on a spreadsheet to have value. It doesn't have to be quantifiable to be meaningful. 
I think we should always look for information where we can find it and figure out what matters and what doesn't, what works and what doesn't. Always as a statistical community or whatever, people are moving forward. People are constantly challenging themselves. That's one of the reasons I like people like Michael Blake McCurdy, why I like the twins. They are constantly reevaluating the things that they are measuring and trying to make sure that what they're putting in front of people is the best possible version of that information. I have an incredible amount of respect for that. But we can't just assume that everything of value is going to show up on paper. There is something to the, the boost in confidence, in, in swagger, in arrogance, in attitude to having someone like that that just reminds you you're big shit. Hey, Trevor Zegers, I don't know if you know this. You're big shit. Don't let these fucking guys come after you. Don't, don't fucking deal with this shit. You're big fucking shit. Let's go. And again, poor example. Trevor Zegers doesn't lack for confidence. But he's also never done this this long. He's never been this bad for this long. I have no idea what it's going to be like in the middle of January when there's not Ryan Getzloff around. And he's just like, fuck, this sucks. There's no Josh Manson. There's no Hampus Lindholm. There's Cam Fowler. There's Henry. They're, you know, Silverberg. They're guys who are, who are going to be able to help. But the entirety of the leadership and of the infrastructure isn't there in the way that are going to be able to help guys like Trevor Zegras, Mason McTavish, and Troy Terry, who are going to be sludging through the rest of this season. Because the team's not that good. One of the things, again, it comes back to Nick Delorier a lot of the times. One of the things that I think is ignored here is that the comments around Nick Delorier, as much as some of them very much did have to do with fighting, some of the comments were, it's nice to know we've got a guy like that who's always got our back. A lot of the comments that I heard were about, he was on our asses to make sure we were in the right room. He was on our asses to make sure we were prepared. He came in early. He left late. He was there making sure we took this shit seriously. He made sure we were professionals every single day. And also, he's a really funny guy, and we really enjoyed just spending time with him. Troy Terry and Trevor Zacharias are the guys who espoused how much they enjoyed having him around, how much he meant to them off the ice, in the room, behind the scenes, in helping these guys develop. And this idea that that just doesn't have any value because they're going to get caved in at 5-on-5 five five, like the rest of the fucking team isn't getting caved in at 5-on-5 five five anyways is just so stupid to me. It, I, I, I really... I have a very bad habit of using very inflammatory language at times. I really do, and it's something I actually have tried to be very thoughtful about, and I fail a lot. I get it. But this is one of those things that, again, it comes down to me. Either you haven't thought this through, or you're making a bad faith argument. And a lot of the people I've seen talking about this, I don't think they're stupid. So I have no other, ex no other assumption than to assume they are making some of these arguments in bad faith. It's, the the one thing I, I hate about it too is it's there's this assumption that has come out in the sense that if your opinion is not the same then you're wrong. Um, I I'm not a, a fan of that because I don't think that's fair to just say okay the way I think and the way I think the game is right. So if you think it a different way, then that's 
If you're not in line with my thinking, then you're wrong. Which, mm-hmm. listen, I've been on the opposite side of the Deloria argument. I said the Ducks didn't need him in the sense that they're going to get assets for this guy who statistically isn't mm-hmm. doing anything for this team on a bad team. They're getting assets. Take them. And you can mm-hmm. fill that role later if you need to. I've had nothing to do with Deloria as a person, as a player. Uh, for me, liking or disliking fighting, I think there are places for guys like Ryan Reese for a lot of the mentions uh, reasons you mentioned and that Bill Guerin mentioned for why you would want a guy like that on your team, why you would want a guy like Nick Deloria on your team. And I have different, you know, I, I'll probably contradict myself a few times in this argument, but yeah, I have different levels of what I'm okay with giving up for a guy like that because mm-hmm. I will, totally I will sit there and say, I'm not comfortable giving up a certain level of assets for a guy that statistically will not have an impact for you on the ice. But there is a level that I'm like, okay, well, I'm fine giving up this for the intangibles to bring a guy into the locker room that will at least boost the morale of this team and, like you said, help drag them through what is going to be a tough end to this season where you've got Terry and Zegers still trying to produce for this team in games that mean absolutely nothing beyond mm-hmm. just essentially padding stats and, and hoping that this team can start to figure something out. And if and you have for pride, let's be yeah. like, I, 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 you didn't mean it pejoratively. So mm-hmm. I don't want to give that. But when you say padding stats, a part of that is just flat pride. Yeah. It's to the extent that it's like, I want to put up as best the numbers that I can. I, I want to make these fucking teams when they beat us work for it. Yep. That's just pride. Sometimes it's really nice to have a guy on your back that's just like, fuck him up, go get him. You know what I mean? Like it's that whole stupid Twitter joke about uh, Socrates, blah, 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 and then Socrates' friend Dale, fuck him up, Socrates. Sometimes you just need a Dale. It's just nice. Yeah. Anyways, back to what you were saying. Sorry. No, it, it's it's just because it, it's tough for me because I do understand the statement of a team like Anaheim shouldn't be giving up assets for – somebody that's not going to make the team better. But there's a level of that where that argument, you just can't blanket statement that and say the team shouldn't be giving uh, Why would anybody give up a fifth-round pick for Ryan Reeves? Why wouldn't they? If they yeah. feel like he's going to benefit their roster, the chances... Three fucking drafts from now, Eddie. Three dra- Like, again, yeah. not to get into the specifics because I don't think it really ultimately matters in that sense. But a 2025 fifth-round pick, and we are acting like it's the third overall pick in the 2003 entry draft? Yeah. Can we please grow up? And, Can and we to, please to grow point up? out and say, well, Troy Terry was a fifth-round pick, or this guy was a fifth-round pick, or Datsuk was a seventh-round pick, so why would you give up assets? Well, you can pick out the outliers in any situation, but... If you want to quote statistics and say, why are you bringing in a guy who doesn't benefit the team on a, at a statistical level? Well, I'll bring up the statistics and show you the percentage of players who become NHL quality NHL players from the fifth round and say, well, there you go. 5%, 2% of these guys become actual NHL players on a consistent basis. And if you can move that pick when you're Minnesota – when you're supposed to be good, you're in a competitive window here to bring in a guy that you think is going to help drag you out of this, you know, the, the mud that you're in right now and at least get the locker room going. And, and sometimes that's all it takes for a team like that, who we know is good. They really haven't gotten worse. 
the teams around them have gotten better. They just haven't been able to figure it out this year. Sometimes you just need another voice in that locker room, some energy, as Bill Guerin said, to just get the guys going and get the energy back in that room. Sometimes that's all it takes. We talk about coaching changes all the time. Well, they changed coaches and they went on a run. And yeah, because they had a different voice, a different energy. And I know bringing in one guy into a locker room is not necessarily the same thing, but sometimes that's what you need. And to give up a fifth round pick to just try and see if that would work, I don't I don't see why that's an issue, especially for a team like Minnesota. You want to make the argument that the Ducks aren't going to really benefit much on on ice play from that I can I can support that I can understand that that is true the Ducks are not going to benefit on ice from bringing in Ryan Reeves but if it helps you know the guys get through the rest of the season is that worth a fifth round pick sure why not if it makes Mm -hmm. the season easier for these guys to get to next year and to 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 make it through what is going to be a, a very tough season for a lot of these guys why is that not worth a fifth round pick I just I, I, I don't understand that argument that you can't just blanket statement and say, you know, a team that's that's rebuilding shouldn't give up any assets for guys that aren't going to make them better. That you can't blanket it. It's like myopic. That. That's my thing. It's myopic. Again, like you're saying, I do think that the underlying logic is is sensible, right? Shouldn't be giving up assets for guys that aren't going to help you with winning. Okay, great. You know what's not really that big of a fucking asset, if anything? A fifth-round pick in 2025. Yeah. You can get that back. Are you kidding? Again, they got a third for Delorier. So let's be real, real brutal about this. They would have – so here's the fun thing. Minnesota gave up a third to get Nick Delorier at the deadline last year, then watched him walk and sign a long-term deal in philly so they got 20 games plus you know six playoff games or whatever it was of nick delorier for a third round pick i don't have any issue with it but i get that that is a thing you could reasonably be like oh the math's a little dicey on that they upgraded the enforcer for a lesser pick the next year Anaheim getting a third-round pick for Nick Delorier and then giving up a fifth-round pick for a better fighter. Like, let's be very clear. Nick Delorier is one of the three or four best heavyweights left in the league. Ryan Reeves, the king of the fucking jungle. I have no reason to think that's not true until the day when somebody puts Ryan Reeves on his ass in a meaningful way. He's the king of the fucking jungle still. He is the guy. And again, he... I. Yeah, I personally put a lot of weight on the fighting part of it because me and Patty have had this discussion. You've seen me try to have this as a semi-nuanced conversation with him, and there are parts of it where we just don't quite see eye-to-eye. But I do think there are times where this team gets pushed around, and I do think it is to a degree unfair to expect these younger skill-based guys to have to do that job. You don't ask fourth liners to go score big goals. You shouldn't ask big goal scorers to go be fourth liners. That's not their fucking job. Bring in guys that can do different jobs. And again, especially in a season like this where Anaheim is competing for fucking Connor Bedard and not even a wild card spot, you have nothing to lose. I think bringing in a guy like Ryan Reeves, who people are legitimately afraid of, legitimately afraid of, that is a bad man. That matters. Like, I really think that has value. I will live and die 
with that having value. But I get not everybody sees it that way, yeah. and I'm fine with that. It's, Here's it's, the thing, though. It's the value. Not seeing the value beyond wins and losses is where we've gotten to. Where adding a player who on paper doesn't make the team better in the statistics that you're using there's there's just seems to be okay well if he's not checking my boxes there's no value there and i I think that's Mm -hmm. that's unfair to this thousands of different ways to look at this game and what value is to say he doesn't fit my value so you're wrong because he doesn't fit the way i'm evaluating this game and what makes a team better i don't think that's fair i don't think that's fair to approach it from that way and here's another thing i just want to bring up because i do think this matters they aren't bringing in a guy who's a shithead. Mm-hmm. Ryan Reeves is a lot of things. There are people who have issues with the way that he plays. There are people who have issues with his role. I have never heard anybody say anything bad about him off ice. Let's be like, I'm putting my personal cards right on the table. Let's not forget in the middle of the bubble in the middle of the George Floyd protests, Ryan Reeves went out there and spoke to the media in front of everybody and said, this isn't okay. Like, he went out there and put, and again, this is a guy who does not have a role that a lot of people on the outside respect. And it would be the epitome of hockey culture for him to be like, you know what? I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to take away from the team. And Again, wouldn't necessarily have any issue with that, right? It's not his job to tell people to stop being racist. But he made a decision that in this moment, the best thing that I can do is be more than the hockey player that I am. Be more than the enforcer to take a meaningful leadership role, even if just for the moment, about something that matters. If you don't think having someone like that in the locker room to help these kids go through these seasons has value, I don't know what to tell you. I just don't. It's just one of those things where, again, if you want to say a fourth is too much, if you want to say a third is too much, if you want to say a fifth is too much, that's fine. But to act like any singular asset is a bridge too far to bring in a quality guy, a quality character guy into a locker room that is just fucking going through it. Like, I hate this phrase, but the Ducks are down bad, bro. Like, yeah, they are down bad. It, it's just funny, too, to, to to see people who buy in and love the comments from Verbeek when he first started that he wants to bring in guys with character. And Dallas Akins preaches the same thing. To sit there and say there's absolutely no value to bringing in a guy with character. Like, that... That's the tough thing for me to wrap my head around is because people ate that up. Oh, yeah, Verbeek and Dallas Higgins are on the same page. They want to bring in guys with character. They want to bring guys that are, are, are going to boost up the locker room, be good guys on and off the ice. But this guy, because he fights people and that's all he does and doesn't have a positive impact on the ice, uh, we don't want him. I, I don't see any value in that. I don't I don't like that. I don't like painting it the game into your box and saying – Nobody else can have an opinion on a player's value because he doesn't fit the way I evaluate players and I evaluate trades. Again, I'm be the first one to say if I can get an asset for a guy that just fights, get it, take it. In Minnesota mm-hmm. or in um, who? Where was he before this? The Rangers. Rangers in the Rangers yeah. case, take the fifth round pick. 
If you yeah. can get the Especially fifth round pick, scratching him seven out of eight games. Yeah. Take the fifth round pick, you know, get the asset, move on, and fill that another way if you need to. But and then I can see the value again in Minnesota's case, and 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 just like the trade with Deloitte, I was all for the Ducks getting a third round pick for him. I can see why Minnesota went out and got him. Like I can see mm-hmm. both sides of it. I I understand it for why you would see value in this guy. I never said there was no no value in in a player like that. Um, it's and, just if you can get a third round pick for a guy who doesn't have any statistical value to your team, that is a benefit because there's a higher chance of you getting a quality player with that third round pick where you can go out and replace this guy for cheaper. We just talked about it. Go out and spend a fifth-round pick to bring in a guy who can do that role. You you can find that later when you need it for cheaper. And, and this is going to be the last thing I say about this, and then I'll get off my soapbox, and I apologize to everybody. Genuinely apologize, because there is a part of this that is me just being, you know, Grandpa Simpson yelling at the clouds. The idea that, and I've seen more than a few people say this, more than a few people, even outside of Dutch Twitter, have said this. <clears throat> if he was so valuable, why would teams trade him? First of all, go for yourself. Second of all, Phil Kessel's been traded like five fucking times. Are we really saying, and again, these are people who think more than anything, goals matter. Why isn't that same argument ever applied? Well, if he was really such a great goal scorer, why did they trade him? If goals are so important, why would they trade a guy who's a guaranteed 30 goal scorer? So weird that nobody ever fucking says that. But the moment that you say maybe what this guy does has some value uh, beyond the impact of it, now you have a a huge issue with it? Well, now you want to question the logic behind it? But again, trading Phil Kessel a legitimate 30-goal scorer for a very long time, who, again, doesn't miss fucking games. The best skill, or what is it, the best ability is availability. This is a 30-goal scorer who doesn't fucking miss games unless his child is being born. He has been traded multiple fucking times. That's not an indictment of him. That's not an indictment of the system. That's not an indictment of the people who have traded him. Half the guys who traded him away are the guys who brought him in. Sometimes where a player fits within a room, within a team, within a context can change. Your role within a team can evolve. Your role within a team can be replaced, be minimized. And you have a guy like Ryan Reeves who goes to the Rangers in L.A. and says, I haven't played in seven of the last eight games. Can you guys send me somewhere where I can play if you're not planning on using me? Yep, and we we we. Have I, to I just I just don't have any fucking patience for if it was so valuable, why would he get traded? They trade everybody. Yeah. Everybody gets traded. Chris Pronger has been fucking traded. One of the seven, eight best fucking defensemen of all time. One of the greatest. Ca- the man dragged the Philadelphia Flyers to the fucking Stanley Cup Finals. I I think too with that, like you could go back last year. And the, even the year before that, and not argue that Ryan Reeves had value to the Rangers, to what they needed him for at that time. And sure, it's changed. They feel they don't need that anymore. They feel they get that from elsewhere, and they want something else to to try and kickstart their season. They And they felt like they didn't need Ryan Reeves for that anymore. They didn't play him. He asked to leave. And the, the Minnesota Wild feel they need that. Like, again, there's always going to be teams who feel they need that, 
and it will work out whether it does or not. But it worked out for the Rangers when they had him. Again, go back to last year in the playoffs against Washington and tell me that they didn't need Ryan Reeves and that they they didn't feel like they needed him to compete with some of the teams that they were going to face. He was valuable to them in their season and in the playoffs for what they needed him for. And that's changed, and now he's going to go to another team that feels there's always going to be a team that feels that they need that and they value that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and again, last thing, this is all the genuinely last thing I'm going to say about this. I am very frustrated about this conversation because I like Ryan Reeves. Let's be very clear. A not insignificant part of this is I really like Ryan Reeves. I've liked Ryan Reeves since I hated Ryan Reeves with the St. Louis Blues. I get my biases here. What I don't like is, like you said, this idea that simply because it doesn't fit your style of play or what your philosophical preference for what the team is, it is inherently without value. And I have talked to Pat about this on the other side. We don't need to denigrate individuals because we don't like what they are or are not doing. With Pat, it's some of the guys on this team who he thinks don't play physically enough, don't stand up for their teammates or themselves enough. Fine. We don't need to denigrate them. Same thing with this guy. I get that Ryan Reeves isn't a 30-goal scorer. We don't need to shit on him. Like, we don't. And again, I understand that there's a part of this that's is hypocritical because I take runs at Cam Fowler every fucking day. I do actually feel bad about it sometimes. I really like Cam Fowler as a person. He's a very good dude. I think his limitations on the ice are not inconsiderable. But I like Cam Fowler, and it does bother me sometimes that I do feel like my comments tip over a line into denigrating him as an individual as opposed to simply saying his functionality as a hockey player is iffy at best in this context. We all need to be better about this shit. I don't know how this is how we ended up here. But I, I, I do try to take some accountability and some have some level of self-awareness. I just wish we could have these conversations without resorting to quite simple, you know, zero-sum decision-making. Like, you're either a good player or you're a shitty player. And if you're a shitty player, you have literally no value. Yep. And, and everybody else is wrong for thinking it, which is what and, I don't like. Again, I, and the, the thing for me is, like, I do agree with the premise a lot of those people are putting forward. You don't agree with me on a lot of this stuff. You're not someone who was particularly, like like you said right now. I'm sorry. I'm going to tell you what you said. What an asshole. Um, but like you said, you can understand the argument for Ryan Reeves, but you at no point are all that excited about bringing Ryan Reeves in. If it happens, you would get it, but it's not at the top of your list. Pat, it might be at the top of Pat's list. Like, there isn't a straight consensus even among us about this stuff, but it's just about being able to have the conversation in a way that isn't disingenuous and doesn't shit on people needlessly. Yeah, that that's that's the main problem I have with it. Again, is like, listen, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of of bringing again in again to the point of their argument. I'm not a huge fan of bringing in a guy who's not going to provide any statistical value to, to show me that he can make this team better, but I'm not going to sit here and say there's absolutely no value to that. And that you're wrong for wanting to bring him in for the, the perceived value that you have that he could provide to this team. That's my main issue with a lot of these arguments we've seen lately and that have kind of spread through 
Twitter and, and social media is that if you're not, your thinking is not in the mold of whatever the popular thinking is right now, then your opinion is wrong. You're not allowed it, to have Let's that be opinion. clear. It's not even uh, like, yes, to a bigger scale, but it's not even necessarily a popular thing. I think if you polled the hockey fans about fighting, it would probably be a little closer than you might think. Yeah. You know, again, like it, it doesn't even need to be about going with any like there is a part of it that is very like going with, you know, with where progressive minds are taking you. And part of it with me is sticking with where the old people telling me it is all that shit. Like that's all legit. But at the same time, it really just is about being able to have the conversations without being reductive and disingenuous. Yeah, that's all I ask. Nope. That's all I want. Anyways, I'm done. I'm sorry. This we're all, is that's what, what we're, a we're always here podcast. for. It, so. Stupid. Um, we only had we talked about Toronto. The only other um, rumors we had before we get to our predictions for the upcoming games was Klingberg. Um, we'll just briefly talk about it because yeah. we're going to talk about it several times. His name just popped up again in rumors. I think the Blue Jackets, Sens, Leafs, Oilers, Canucks all could be looking at John Klingberg. Uh, Sarah Valley said that Klingberg will fetch a first-round pick plus more on the rental market as the mm-hmm. year progresses, which makes sense. No matter his struggles or not, he's still going to be a high-profile name on that list and the fact that the Ducks can eat half that contract. So, Did you see Cam's tweet, uh, Cam Robinson's tweet? Yeah. This is not – I'm not coming after Cam Robinson. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Cam Robinson, but it's just a very funny thing that the way in which our production – Right. Can can the way in which a player's production can so strongly impact their value mm-hmm. on that thing that he showed? John Klingberg has taken a nosedive in multiple things. There are things that he wasn't very good at before, and he has only gotten worse on a bad team with bad structure and bad talent. Right. And there are things that he was pretty good at that he's gotten worse on again on a bad team with bad talent, bad structure. So. His even strength offense dropped from 97 to 92. And this is in war percentile. Yeah. Like, this is not like... His even strength offensive play driving is still incredibly valuable. And you put for, him in the right situation on in, exactly. on a top power play, I, I, I everything mean, look, will the, rebound. The real situation is, is how do we get him to Toronto? And I'm very excited for Jake Muzzin to be a duck next year. It's essentially why why I, I am confident that he will fetch the first-round pick plus more because there will be a team out there who sees that and says, okay, well, in our system, the power play numbers are going to be better mm-hmm. and we can insulate him a little bit better than he is in Anaheim that he's not being put in those situations. And the dip in the even strength play driving is really negligible. And in our team with the better players around him, can easily see him rebounding to that, right? So I, I think he'll fetch it, whether it's, you know, Toronto or whoever at the end of the day. Um, that remains to be seen. But, uh, the, you know, the the reality of the situation is come to trade deadline. He And even right now, he is the top defenseman available on the market. And it's a significant trade piece that the Ducks have to wield because there aren't really many other defensemen available. And there aren't any defensemen available that are at the same pedigree as John Klingberg has shown over the last few years. So mm-hmm. the real question, and before we move on to the predictions, is, is, and this was a question that was brought up by Friedman, is, is nobody really knows when 
that move will be made and when that move is the right move. I know Klingberg's contract, he has a full no trade until January 1st, and that switches to a 10-team no trade. So that can give you an idea of when is would be probably in the new year after January. And that's probably the likely scenario and, and as his value increases towards the deadline. But do you see any any world where maybe it happens beforehand? When, when do you see things start heating up a little bit um, around John Klingberg and, and him potentially getting moved? So I see... Okay, so I would imagine that the the majority of the teams who are going to be in on John Klingberg down the line have probably reached out to Pat Verbeek already. I would imagine the conversations around John Klingberg that we see start to see a little bit more and more pop up when it comes to insiders, TV panels, news reports, 32 thoughts, that kind of thing. Probably about the week before Christmas. Uh, you know, 12, 20-ish, that last 10, 11 days of the month, I could see being a bit more of a, a, a gearing up point. Kind of like, you know, like in soccer where, you know, that's kind of right around the thing where you start to hear more of the rumors for that January window. Yeah. Um, I, I would expect him to be... probably the second or third defenseman moved. I could even be see him being the second defenseman moved off of Anaheim. Um, I think ultimately the question for me becomes is, is it before or after? Is he traded before February? And if not, if he's not traded before February does he likely then go all the way to March? And it's that week leading into the deadline that his name really starts to get moved around. I would probably lean towards he gets moved end of February, beginning of March. But I could absolutely see somebody reaching out to the Ducks and being like, look, this is what we're willing to give you. We don't want to fuck around. We want this to be taken care of. Will you ask John or let us talk to John? about the possibility of just doing this now. I think sometimes that we can see with a lot of GMs that a a lack of um, decisiveness can come back to bite them in the ass. And and I would be be very curious to see if somebody really does try to just jump ahead and get the business done early. Yeah, if there's anybody that I could see that happening with, I I think it could be with John Klingberg and and the Ducks' willingness – with where they are to, to move on from him. Like, I don't think they would have any issues if the deal was right to move on from him, you know, tomorrow, if the right offer came mm-hmm. in. Um, well, it's, uh, yes. But I, I, I think the thing that's interesting to me is, is how much of do you think is the offer and how much of you think it is, is the team and Anaheim's perception that maybe Klingberg would be willing to move there early. Yeah, yeah. I Does can, that make sense? Yeah, no, I can see it, and 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 whether they're willing to, you know, how far and how serious does the offer have to be, and how far in the discussions do they have to be for them to be be able to willing to talk to mm-hmm, to John about sure. that move, right? Uh, with the full no trade in in effect, and I, I I think it's tough. Ultimately, I think a team would have to get pretty desperate to pull this off before January first. 
and mm-hmm. be pretty Absolutely. aggressive with their offer. Can't um, think of anybody in a major market that would describe that, right? But I, I think yeah, I think it's something you can see. I mean, we can see it develop every year in a, in a team that had expectations to do better than they were and you know through injuries have now have a real need for a player like John Klingberg and just like you said want to wrap their business up quickly before other teams can get in the mix and just kind of overpay a little bit or or set the price higher than uh, it is now and kind of set it at deadline prices and just pay what you would end up having to pay later for him to get it done and have him for this stretch of games now to you know kickstart your your season and get back to where you want to be so i could see it ultimately i think it it is after january when that 10 team no trade comes in and it's a little bit easier for the ducks to start kickstarting those discussions with all the teams that he would kind of be willing to go to right because right now he has full control Mm -hmm. in the sense that he doesn't have to say yes to anything once the 10 team no trade comes into effect the ducks have a lot more flexibility to listen to offers and and not necessarily keep not in, in a negative way keep him out of the discussions, but have more control on their side, um, and being able to pick where he where he ends up going to. So, all right. So just one last little thing to wrap this up, and then we'll do our predictions. Edward, I want to know who you think of the insiders breaks the Klingberg trade. Oh, I think it'd be our our boy Kevin Weeks. You think it'll be Weeksy? I think it'll be Weeksy. I am going to go all the way out on the limb for no real reason. And I am going to say, I think it'll be Bob McKenzie breaking it that he's going to Toronto. Oh, I love it. A little I, I think, Bobby out of retirement. I think I think that is exactly the off-the-top rope uh, after sneaking out from under the ring type shit Bob McKenzie loves to pull. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think... In my heart of hearts, I wanted to be Weeksy just to see how fucking ridiculous he gets announcing it. See, you know, at some point he's going to do it jumping out of an airplane with a parachute. Sitting at a dinner table with John Klingberg's family. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hey, guys, what's up, folks, here at the Klingberg table? I just want to let you know John Klingberg has accepted a trade. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, Whatever this goes out, we'll put it out on Twitter. I'd love to hear from uh, some of you guys. Who do you guys think... uh, breaks the trade and and if you think it's somebody specific because of the team where do you think he ends up uh no reason we can't have a little bit of fun with this despite me being an asshole um yeah so that was it i just wanted to see so edward thinks it'll be weeksy and i think it's going to be bobo all right well we'll hit the boys up too and we'll figure out where they think this ends up all right edward do you want to hit to the uh predictions my friend Yes, four games this week, road trip, Nashville tomorrow at 5 p.m., Dallas on Thursday at 5.30, uh, Minnesota on Saturday at 11 a.m., and Winnipeg on Sunday at 12 p.m. Tough, tough road trip against arguably the three best teams in the Central Division. I think even the three best teams in the Central Division right now in uh, in Nashville, Dallas, Minnesota, and Winnipeg. So not easy. None of these arenas are, are fun to play in. There are they're tough buildings to go into. You could maybe argue Dallas is the easiest of the bunch, and that's still not a tough, that's not an easy place to go. Ah, to play. Especially they're with, so jazzed up right now. Yeah, especially with the way they're playing and the way Jason Robinson mm-hmm. individually is playing. That's not a, a fun place for uh, the Ducks to have to go into right now. What, what do you see for these games right now? Um, starting with Nashville and you know then Dallas, Minnesota, and Winnipeg. <sighs> 
I think they'll take the Winnipeg game. I, I think this is a one and three, maybe one, two and one type situation. Uh, but other than the Winnipeg game, I, I just don't really see a situation where they come out of this with um, two wins. Um, you know, it's it feels a little weird to pick the second night of a back-to-back on the road to be the win. Uh, um but I, I, I definitely think Winnipeg of the four is the one I, I think Anaheim would be the likeliest to win. So I'll say one, two, one, and they drag probably Dallas because they hate me. Uh, Dallas to overtime for no real reason, and Jason Robertson scores the overtime winner. I, I'm going also with one and three, but I'm I'm giving the Ducks the win potentially tomorrow against Nashville only mm-hmm. because uh, Nashville's had their last two games postponed because of flooding at their arena. So the last time they played was Wednesday the 23rd. So not a major gap, but, you know, uh, six days in between not nothing their, either. Their, their last game. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that rest can hurt you. And the last game they came off of was a shutout, a 3 nothing loss uh, on the road in Detroit. So they've just been kind of sitting around since coming back from, from that game against Detroit. So I, I think that could be a trap game. And it's a team that doesn't score a lot of goals either, and their power play is not great. So they're not going to be one of those teams that hurts the Ducks. Um, if you know they get in the box, they have the weapons for sure. But I I think it it's going to be a battle between Saros and Gibson tomorrow. It's going to be a goaltender battle. It's going to be a, a low-scoring affair, but I think the Ducks potentially have enough to, to, pay, to give that one out. As for the rest, I think they're they're going to be incredibly tough. I think Dallas um, away is tough. Minnesota is going to be difficult. They've started to turn things around, and the Jets have, have just kind of had the Ducks number so far this year, so I think that one uh, is going to be a tough one. So I'll, I'll say 1-2-1. One, and one. I think one of those games probably goes to OT, probably the one against Minnesota, as they usually seem to do, and take the take the victory tomorrow uh, against the Preds. That'll be the feel-good one if you get the win against the Preds anyway. So Yeah, absolutely. That would be, you know, that's a little bit of something, just kind of help bounce yeah. back. Just hope Jason Robinson doesn't bully us too much on uh 66, let's there. go. <laughs> All right, so I got one two one. You had one three zero. Uh, one two one, and I'll one, say two, they one, take one. Dallas to overtime. All right, now well, that would be a, a a positive week with the way things are going, especially with yeah. how tough of a a schedule that could be, because there there is the you know the daunting uh, possibility of going zero and four this week with with how good all four of those teams are. So uh, Nashville, the only one at five hundred, the rest of them kind of significantly uh, above that mark. So. Yeah, I mean, it's four games and six nights. They're all on the road. They're all, I mean, Winnipeg might be the weakest team of the bunch. And... <laughs> yeah, that, that's saying something with the the fact that they're 13-6-1 right now. So, that's, uh, no, none of them are easy matchups. Like, Minnesota's 10-9-2, but they're playing them at home at Excel Energy Center, if I, I hope and it's I, still I, called I, that, is uh, <laughs> it's. Kellebuck is hurt, right? Which is why I feel like the Winnipeg, the one they have the best shot at taking, is I feel like Kellebuck is hurt. I think he's back now. I, I believe he was out, but oh, he, he? he played um, the 27th and the 25th, so he sh- he oh, seems back. Um, he played against Dallas and Chicago, so. 
Uh, he's been lights out this year. Nine twenty-five save percentage, ten yeah. five and one record. So it's uh, and you know they've just got a lot of guys cooking. Kyle Connor has started to get back to form. Josh Morrissey has been on on another planet this year. The guy's twenty-three points in twenty games. His career high is thirty-one. So he's just been uh, unbelievable. Mark Shifley is is aiming for the Cy Young with eleven goals and four assists. So everybody's kind of gotten going this year. For them, um, been the surprise team of the division. And, and the games that the Ducks have played against them have been fun. Um, but I don't think they've played the Jets where everybody's been going yet. That last game was really the first time that Kyle Connor was really starting to break out for this year and, and, and put mm-hmm. pucks in the back of the net. And he grabbed a hat trick in that game. So they are kind of a different team than the, when the Ducks last faced them. So it will... Uh, it will be a tough one, but I, I I do think the Nashville might be the the, the best chance they have of, of winning a game here with the positive end of sorts to that game against Seattle for Anaheim and just the the long kind of rest that uh, that Nashville's had over the last uh, couple postponed games for them. Yeah, fun fact: uh, the Cy Young Award is named after a gentleman who I literally learned tonight. His name is Denton True Young. And the Psy comes from Cyclone. Hmm. So, yeah. Anyways. I thought his name was just Psy. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Turns right. out his name wasn't even Psy. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. Um, all right. That was our <laughs> Ducks game predictions presented by 714 Tickets. Maybe, maybe one time uh, we do this this uh, game prediction, we'll have a, a positive outlook from here. Or the wins will exceed our, our lowly expectations for how the Ducks will do. So maybe, maybe at some point. It hasn't been too too kind to us for the start of the year. But it's going to do it for this episode. We still manage, as always, to get over two hours. It's just kind of how we do. Absurd. Um, we're aiming to get back to live shows. So the last live show we did with Jay and, and the, the two of us, we had a lot no, of – or Pat, the two of us, yeah, of course, Pat's return. We had a lot of c- connectivity issues, and then when Stephen and I tried to record yesterday offline, those seemed to persist. But I think we've got them fixed, updated a few things, re-downloaded a, a couple things. So we've made it through this entire episode without anything disconnecting. So hoping to get back to doing the live shows, uh, hopefully for the next one, for next week. But we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but thanks for everybody for for coming in and listening here. We'll have those back soon. Um, you know, enjoy tomorrow's game against Nashville and enjoy the rest of this road trip. If you want to help us keep going throughout the season, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Search for Ever Mighty. Leave us a rating and a review, um, and we'll read them on the show. We've got a couple. I think we've got to get um, on the list here to read for the upcoming show. Um, some recent ones, but we really appreciate them. Love reading them. Love seeing the support for the show. Uh, you can also do so on Spotify. You can leave a rating on Spotify now. So to make sure to do that, if you haven't already, all video versions of the show exist on our YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash forever mighty podcast. Make sure to subscribe. We also put out um, some different content there. We have, we've had some interviews or you've had some interviews so far this season. We've got a few more planned um, the video versions will go up on there as well. And if at any point I ever have the time or the, the motivation to get back to doing Ducks Morning Brew, they'll, that will be on there. Um, I almost recorded well. a, tried, almost just sat down and recorded a Morning Brew about Reeves, but I really wanted to hear you 
what you had to say on it. So it made more sense to just I, say I, I love doing those, and I, I I hope we can get back to them because they're a lot of fun to do, and they're they're nice quick hits to topics yeah. that we don't get to cover until you know Sunday most of the time. Um, check out our website at forevermighty.com to find everything in one place. You can find where to watch, where to listen to the show, how to support the show, where to find us on social media. Um, speaking of social media, we're on Twitter at forevermightyfm. I'm on Twitter at Eddie Van Jones, and Steven is on Twitter at the Hockey Boomer. Uh, we're also on Instagram, but that was Pat's job, and well, that <laughs> that, that hasn't worked out. We're we're trying to post things to Instagram as much as we can. We have uh, our Facebook page as well, where we post the show. So if you are on only strictly on Facebook, uh, make the check. Make sure to check us out there as well. But again, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everybody who routinely comes back to the show, joins the streams, come in for the live chats. We appreciate you all. And uh, enjoy this this stretch of games here on the road trip. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you.